Hey guys, what's up? This is Matheus Calera, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, you are. Yeah, I think everybody is. It's electric, right? Yes. Dude, the guy who played the mountain in Game of Thrones just lifted 1,045 pounds in the strongman competition. That's nothing. I was watching him pull a goddamn airplane. <laughs> Dude, I, I, how, how does a human being that's not part of the Marvel Universe lift 1,000 pounds? I, it doesn't make sense. Well, The Rock pulled an airplane, didn't he, in, in that new Fast and Furious movie? Pulling an airplane. If The Rock can do it. Yeah, movie, <laughs> Movies are real, though, aren't they? In real life. <laughs> yeah, I watch those things from time to time, and I, I just cannot believe... That it honestly, that a man could lift weights like that, and when they have to pick up those giant stones and drag them down the the, the field or whatever, and then they pick up a, an even heavier stone and they drag that one. It's, He's it's about ridiculous. to go for eleven hundred and five pounds, which would be a new record. That's ridiculous. Now, what is he? Is he deadlifting it like just to the knees? Yeah, it's it's just a deadlift. Yeah, but still, that's that's impressive. Well, he holds the record at a thousand forty-five. He's going to break his own record right now. Let's see if he does it. Ay ay ay! He does it barefoot too, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what else is crazy? This whole episode of 11 O'Clock Comics is going to be crazy because it's episode 617, and I am Vince B. Oh, you are Vince B. It has been ages since I've heard from anybody on the other side of this microphone, and I am David A. Price. That is facts, and um, I'm here through neither rain nor sleet nor snow nor hail because I am everyone's favorite mailman, Willie Lumpkin. Ah. The good old-fashioned approach. Do you want to be Willie Lumpkin? I will refer to you as Willie for the entire episode if you want. Or should we just scrap that and just say, no, you're Ah, not. Yeah, no. You're Jason Wood, everybody. And get this. We have a guest this week because a mega exciting news bomb was dropped earlier in the week. And it's got everybody chittering and chattering because the man behind Godland... And Transformers, G.I. Joe, and GoBots, the man whose work is inspired by Jack Kirby, now gets to tackle the characters created by Jack Kirby. We are talking, of course, about Tom Scholey. Hey, guys. Hey, Tom. Welcome back, sir. You know, Thanks. Real quick, back. I know that we, we, we generally um, have a little uh, tete-a-tete about who's going to maybe do an intro for the guests, but this week there was absolutely no... no. No discussion at all whatsoever, and it's just it was it was a given, and you did great. <laughs> Gee, thanks. <laughs> I like to say you did great. But seriously, though, can you, you not can you not feel the excitement on the internet? And it, it's yeah. it's spreading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I didn't I didn't know what what people were going to think, uh, and and yeah, I was really overwhelmed by by the response. And it's been big, and it's only going to get bigger. Once, I mean, you teased a little bit with some artwork, but once we start seeing pages roll out of of the Shirley compound, then it's just going to keep snowballing. And uh, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, but you know who doesn't get ahead of themselves? I do. You should discount comic book service because they right. are always on the money. You order the books, you get the books. It's that simple. This month. Uh, the specials are up, 
And again, I'm very excited. I picked three. Number one is Old School All the Way, and it's from Marvel. It's the Man Wolf Complete Collection. And it, <laughs> and it, it no, this stuff is great. Come on. J. Oh, Joan, yeah. J. Jonah Jason, Jameson's only son in uh, Amazing Spider Man 24, 125. 189, 190. You got Giant Size Superheroes number one, Creatures on the Loose 30 to 37. That's the gold in this right there. Uh, Marvel Premiere 45 and 46. Marvel Team Up 36 and 37. Savage She Hulk 13 and 14. And material from Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider Man Annual number three. Yikes. This is a big honking tome. Cover price is $39.99. But because you're with it, what are you going to pay? Anybody? Uh, nineteen ninety nine. Exactly. Nineteen ninety nine. That's insane. Next up, I have heard a lot of good. Well, I've heard mostly good things about this uh, this run. It's from Amp Adult. It's the Olivia James Nancy hardcover collection, volume one, collecting the first nine months of Olivia James run on Nancy. In fact, she's the first woman to write and illustrate the classic comic strip. It is 140-some-odd pages hardcover for $14.99. But, again, you're not going to pay that. You are taking this bad boy home for $8.24. Josh Bayer likes it a lot. So I said, okay, that's good enough for me. I'm going I'm to order it. Yeah, this it. is the, the sluggo is lit, Nancy. Yes. Yeah. Have you read it? Um, I just see him pop up as like a thing on the internet, and it's always funny. I mean, it, it, I, and I'm a Nancy fan to begin with. Same, yeah. Bringing up the rear, but not in our hearts. Uh, it's Chris Ware's Rusty Brown hardcover out of Pantheon Books. Now, I I never read the entirety of the solicit for these things because. Mm-hmm. Once I say Chris Brown or Rusty Brown, Chris Ware, you know what you're going to get. But I think the solicitation from this for this book is so pretentious. I just have to read it once. I'm not going to read it every week because it'll drive me mad. But get this: this is probably from some intern out of Pantheon Books who thought, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 Chris uh, Ware. We got to jazz it up and make it pretentious. Read, listen to this. A major graphic novel event more than 16 years in progress. Rusty Brown is a fully interactive, full cover, I'm sorry, full color articulation of the time-space interrelationships of three complete consciousnesses in the first half of a single Midwestern American day and the tiny piece of human grit about which they involuntarily orbit. Now, you think it would stop there. It doesn't. A sprawling, special snowflake accumulation of the biggest themes and the smallest moments of life, Rusty Brown literally and literally aims at nothing less than the coalescence of one half of all existence into a single museum-quality picture story. Expertly arranged to present the most convincingly ineffable and empathetic illusion of experience for both life-curious readers and traditional fans of standard reality. From childhood to old age, no frozen plotline is left unthawed 
in the entangled stories of a child who awakens without superpowers, a teen who matures into a paternal despot, a father who stores his emotional regrets on the surface of Mars, and a late middle-aged woman who seeks the love of only one other person on planet Earth. What the hell were they thinking? You lost me. Who's going to order this based on that? It doesn't yeah, make I, any sense. I know. I'm going to probably order it because it is Chris Ware, but I have a very it's I have such a love-hate relationship with him. I I, I love building stories and think it's an absolute masterpiece, but then Jimmy Corrigan, which is probably at least conventionally his most celebrated work, I just find absolutely inaccessible, so I don't know. It's, well, it's a crapshoot to order it. But yes, I, I love the man, and it is on my order form. It has to be on my order form. But to compel the uninitiated to to purchase your books, that copy's not going to do it. Yeah, that's somebody's graduate thesis. Right, right. It's just silly. Um, and but I wish them well. I hope this book it'll do well. All all of the alt comics crowd will read it, and and it'll do fine. But I don't I don't think it's going to be a breakout book. But anyway. $35 cover price. You can have it for $24.50. That's 30% off. And I'll be honest. The only reason why I put this in the solicitations for our T uh, DCBS thing is because I wanted to read that, that thing once. <laughs> that's why I did it. So, <laughs> All right. Now that's – oh, yes, dcbservice.com. Go there. Or B-square. Or B-square. time for the drink roll call and i think we should give our host or um our guest first crack at it tom what hey, are you what? drinking yeah um on my right i have a, a thermos of coffee just to kind of keep me peppy <laughs> and then in front of me i got a can of uh the bell v it's it's the aldi store brand of seltzer it's grapefruit seltzer i haven't cracked it open yet but but if i start getting dry uh, I'm there you go. A guess after my own heart. <laughs> he says after eight weeks of drinking just water. <laughs> oh, seltzer. I've been drinking seltzer. What are you drinking? I am drinking what many fondly call the nectar of the gods. It is ice cold water. McDonald's coffee is the nectar of the gods, but okay. <laughs> no, we'll, let, we'll let you have that. Thank you. All right, I have nothing new. Um, if you've been listening to DAP for the past couple of weeks, I have nothing different. I'm drinking that Hellboy Johann Strauss um, Citrus Wit, and I'm going to back it up with the Hellboy uh, Liz Sherman. Oh, oh my God, are you really? Yeah, why not? Chocolate okay. malt stout. I'm yeah, drinking them both. Because uh, it's, I it's forgot about summer, but okay. I don't care. I got air. I got central air. That's fine. That's I cool. um, I didn't bring them to Friday Night Magic. I forgot, so now they're mine. That's, and I'm gonna yeah, drink okay. them. Okay, because I was gonna ask if 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 the crew. Mm -hmm. I was Friday uh, Night Magic. Enjoyed your skills on. Yeah, yeah, we did of well. Of course, we did well. David, All right. what do you drink? Uh, last but not least, I um, I'm doing something. I I I well, it's it's been over an hour by now, but I had a um, I had a uh, from. Einstock, I had a uh, Icelandic Arctic Pale Ale earlier, uh, but right now I am just enjoying uh, Steakhouse Cabernet Sauvignon from 2016. Excellent. All right, let's get into it. I can't wait any longer. <laughs> can't. 
Tom Scholey is doing the Fantastic Four Grand Design. And I got to hear all about it. We got to hear all about it. Just tell us. From the very beginning where that little germ of an idea came, mm-hmm. came about to the present day where you're doing it. I, I just I got to know. Yeah, let's get comfortable. Settle in. Let's hear the story. Yeah, I um, I mean, it, it was uh, it was like around the time uh, like Ed was doing X Men Grand Design. I think like it, it was about to come out or it had just come out, and they were like in, internally at Marvel, they were considering like branching out, like like trying some other Grand Designs. Um, and um, and Ed told me like he he you know had kind of been you know, told that, that, that they were considering that. And, and he said, like, your name was the first one they mentioned. He's like, I, I didn't, you know, like we're friends and all, but I did I was, it wasn't like, I was like, Oh, Hey Tom, is it? like he said, like your name was the first one mentioned. So, you know, I was kind of, you know, like, okay, yeah, that sounds, that sounds awesome. That, you know, this is, this is, that would be a dream. Like, I, like I, you know, when, when he started doing that X-Men thing, I was kind of like, Oh man, something like that would be really fun to like get your hands on, on one of these Marvel properties and, and to like, not, not just do the, you know, not just kind of come in as like a penciler or, or, um, you know, picking up on like somebody else's arc or doing like a mini, but like to, to be able to tell like, like the real, you know, the real story and, and, and do it like, like your own way. Um, so, so like I, they, they reached out, um, Chris Robinson, who's, who's the, uh, editor of the project, he reached out and he said, you know, like, we're thinking about doing this, uh, uh like a, like a fantastic four grand design. Is that something you'd be into? Um, <laughs> And I was like, yeah, of course, you know, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I think I played it a little cool. At least, you know, I was like, yes, please. You know, I wasn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't show just how, you know, how excited I would be to do something like that. But, um, yeah. And, and, uh, he's like, okay, now, you know, this isn't, we haven't decided, like, you know, we're still discussing this. We're not sure if this thing's, if we're going to do this or not, but I just wanted to see if that, that's, you know, something you'd even, you know, want to take on. So, um, so I like immediately, like I couldn't help. I had like a million ideas and I was, you know, like I, I just started, you know, typing things up and filling sketchbooks and it was, it was kind of the same as when, uh, John Barber asked me about doing Transformers and GI Joe, but you know, it's like, we're not sure if we're going to do this. Or not. And, and I just, I couldn't help. It's like, that's, that's too, too delectable, uh, you know, a, a concept. So I just, you know, started working on stuff and and then eventually, you know, he was like, okay, yeah, just give us a synopsis, just, just something real short, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. So I, I, you know, just gave like a, you know, kind of like a quick pitch, nothing special, like, like the, the pitches, like, I find that if I like make a pitch where like, I really go for it and really try to like, you know, put a ton of like imagination and creativity and thought into the pitch. Like those, those things tend to be shot down. Like, like you kind of give them like more stuff to poke holes in. Mm-hmm. But if you give a pitch that's like kind of bland and nondescript, like those tend to be the ones that get accepted. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's just like, I've just kind of gotten conditioned to that. So I, I, I did, you know, like I kind of held, held back a little on some of my more, uh, you know, outlandish impulses and just like sort of you know t- told a, a straight story in a, in a pretty short amount of space you know figure and because like really like what is a pitch it's just kind of you know like like whatever you end up making 
if you know if you're doing it right, it's going to grow so far beyond whatever you know elevator pitch or whatever you know high concept you have to to make that pitch like pretty much um, obsolete. So, so um, yeah, they they liked they liked the idea, um, but again, it was like we're not sure if we're going to do this or not. You know, we're not, uh, and so it was it was a while, and then um, at the same time, I was working on GoBots. Like GoBots was in a similar right, right. thing, you know. Of uh, of like maybe we're gonna do this maybe we won't and then and then Gobots it looked like it was it was gonna happen and so I kind of just told I told Chris like you know if if this if you think this thing's gonna happen like let me know because I'm you know just a couple days away from you know signing up on on this Gobots thing and then I'll be out of circulation for a while uh, and then you know that came and went and yeah they still weren't ready to commit so I did I did Gobots and um, you know got pretty pretty deep into Gobots and then. Um, I kind of figured, like, I hadn't heard anything in a while, so I kind of figured it was dead that it that it um, the the Marvel the Fantastic Four thing wasn't going to happen. So I just posted a couple of the pages that I had done, just sort of on my own, not not anything they asked me for, but just just because because you know you get these ideas, and I just want to see them. I want to see what this stuff looks like. So so I just kind of posted them out there and, and just kind of said like, oh yeah, I was talking to Marvel. You know, maybe this thing's going to happen, maybe not, but but you know, here here they are, and so. I posted that, and then like you know, people seem to be really into that. Like like they they, they liked uh, what I'd shown, and then not not too much after that, you know, I, I finally I heard back, and they said, okay, we're committed, we're going to do this, we're going to move forward, uh, you know, and then and then you know, when can you start? And then we figured out a schedule. So like I started immediate as soon as GoBots ended. I I there was maybe like a week or two, uh, and then I went straight into this. And nice. it's, you know, it's been, it, and so after that, it's just, you know, the grind, it's, you know, just, just doing it, which I've been, you know, doing pretty, pretty steadily since then. And I mean, even, even as we're talking here, I'm kind of picking a little bit here and there at, at my, uh, at my iPad, you know, kind of doing, just doing little, little bits of color here and there, you know, like it's, it's just, it hasn't stopped. Like I've, I've just been, you know, doing this thing nonsense and, and I got like, I have like Galactus on my drawing board. I have uh, Silver Surfer, Alicia, um, the Watcher. So it's like like I'm into the really, really fun stuff. Like this is this is what this is like what Fantastic Four is to me is that um, like middle period of the of the Jack Kirby Stan Lee run where you know the the the, um, the Inhumans are kind of like the appetizer. Like, okay, things are really start starting to to go someplace, and then Silver Surfer shows up, and it's like, what? And then uh, and then Galactus, and then uh, Black Panther, and, and just you know, and, and you just see that Marvel universe like um, exponentially building. So you're in the late 30s, early 40s, around there. Uh yeah, yeah. Did you have to to tamp down a lot of? Um, conceptual things going in because when someone says to you hey they greenlit your dream of working on the fantastic four you had to have been flooded by all kinds of just ideas from from wherever like the 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 eight-year-old tom Scholey hit that idea that he had for fantastic four and at you know at each point in our lives those things that matter to us we get kind of we get comfortable with them and we start extrapolating, well, wouldn't it be cool if this happened or to approach mm-hmm. it from a different angle? Like, so you must be loaded with Fantastic Four ideas. And did, yeah, you, did you have to yeah. bat them away after a while? 
Um, I mean, just like you can't do all of them because because what you realize after a while is when you look at your ideas, like some of them are redundant. It's like you can only have so many origins for the same character, you know, like uh, so. Yeah, it, like there's there's going to be a lot on the cutting room floor uh, and and hopefully, hopefully like the, the, the more stuff you leave on the cutting room floor, that means just like just how how good the stuff that actually makes it in is. But yeah, like like this is the first comic I've done where. I really like have been thinking about it like a really, really long time. Like, like, uh, you know, like Alan Moore with, um, uh, Marvel man or something where it's just, you know, it's just kind of this thing I kind of pick at every now and then of like, you know, fantastic four, cause fantastic four is, it's, it's a really tough nut to crack. And it's a comic that it's like, it's like so important in the history of Marvel, but so hard to get right. And, you know, uh, you know, greater uh, uh, talents have have tried and failed. So so it is it is like this, um, you know, the siege perilous or something. It's like this this, uh, you know, <laughs> castle you have to try and storm, you know. Well, so so, Tom, based on the solicit and what you're talking about here, um, I think when people hear Grand Design, it evokes because there's only been one so far Ed's approach, which was for those that, that haven't read it. Uh, he basically started from the very beginning of X of the X Men comics and essentially retold everything um, linearly over three volumes, six comics, but three volumes um, up through the the Claremont burn stuff. And um, he kind of did it very regimented from like OG first moment of X Men one through. So uh, it sounds like you're taking a little bit more of a focused approach on an era of the of the comic that you like. So it says the solicit says one of two each 48 pages. So is that what you're committed to right now? Are these two issues or are you going to do like, is it more like, like these are two and then like with Ed and then there's going to be another two and then another two. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just going to be these two. It's not, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the three, the six issues collected into the three volumes. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to be one. So yeah, like that, that right off the bat, it like, I mean, you know, I'm just going to have to approach it a little differently sure. than, than he did. And, and um, you know, it's just it's it's Fantastic Four is a different animal than, than X-Men. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm a different creator than Ed. Definitely. Like we yeah. have a lot in common, but but, you know, we're also, you know, like we have our own thing. So mm-hmm. that, that was something I had to think about because I do want to. Uh, you know, do like, I, I want it to, you know, to, to read like a grand design. Like I want it to, to, um, you know, kind of to, to make sense at, you know, as, as, you know, part of that, that sort of masthead. And so, um, you know, there are, there are things, uh, you know, th- things I've done to kind of link it, you know, in some ways, you know, thematically or, or, um, you know, um, like there, there's a lot of things Ed did that, 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 that do translate over to the FF really well, like the focus on the watcher, like making mm-hmm. the watcher into the, the, um, the narrator, like that, that lends itself really particularly well to the FF. Cause he's, you know, like kind of a pivotal character throughout their, their history. Um, and, and then just like, I really like the approach he did of um, like showing like the prehistory of the X-Men, like all this, like, like what were mutants up to in the middle ages, you know, what, right, you know, right. like, and those were those were my favorite parts of, of his, and and uh, so I, you know, I I put a lot of effort into into trying to come up with things for the Fantastic Four, like free, Fantastic Four prehistory, like like what what long arc 
uh, you know, are, are these characters part of. So are you just, are you kind of focusing on Stan and Jack's 101 issues? Are you, how, how far, how current, how close to, to the, uh, or whose run do you kind of encapsulate? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of allowing myself, uh, you know, like, like, uh, creative license to change or edit or add, you know, as I get to it. But I, I, I think I'm going to stop like as far as runs go, like I'm, I, I have like a way that I'm incorporating, you know, some of the, the later, later stuff uh, into it. But but I think like as of now, I think my ending is going to be around uh, that that uh, sort of anniversary issue that was um, plotted by Jim Shooter and then dialogue by Stan Lee. And then and then it had like a Barry Windsor Smith segment and it had a couple like I think. The, the ending is, is is gonna be like in that in that vicinity, and then have like sort of like a flash forward uh, because um, again, like like linking it to Ed's grand design, like um, the, uh, um, Days of Future Past is kind of like is you know to me sort of like the best like dark future um, you know story to to come out of Marvel and. Uh, the Fantastic Four, like like what happens to the Fantastic Four in there, is like really uh, jarring and, and 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 interesting. And then um, uh, uh, Franklin's role, like Franklin has a really big role in Days of Future Past. So I'm gonna like fold that into it too, and some of that like time paradox stuff. But but um, but it like like um, it's kind of like. Like with with the X Men Grand Design, it it seemed like he was, uh, like Ed was taking, like the X Men or just the Marvel stories in general, just the stuff that mattered to him, the stuff that made an impression on him, uh, you know, and and using that as his his focus. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of doing something similar here of like like what just looking at this whole span of time, like what matters, like what really stands out, and and so those those are the the parts I'm grabbing. So, um, you know, and as of now, like. I'm at the halfway point and, and where I'm at is kind of like the early, early stuff. The prehistory is like, will be pretty out there and kind of new, I think to a lot of people like, like it'll, it'll be familiar, but, but it's, it, it'll be like sort of a different way of looking at these characters. But then um, you get a little bit into the book and then it's like, okay, here's, here's the greatest hits. Like here's the moments. And so what I'm working on right now is sort of like the last of the greatest hits. And then we're going to start going into you know, take sort of a left turn where it's like true to everything that's established in, in the books. Like it's all there, but um, it's like a way that I, I, I haven't seen anybody else, like a lens that I haven't seen anybody else look at it through. Awesome. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And just to go back to the, the comparison between you and Ed, I think Ed, aside from being a fantastic cartoonist, he's a really great data miner. We we, mm-hmm. we saw it in WYSIWYG and in mm-hmm. Hip Hop Family Tree and in, even in the X-Men Grand Design, how he loves names and places and dates and how those – how that data relates to another set of data. And yes. It's, yeah, it's, cross-referencing. Right. And and I was thinking, well, that that's kind of dry, but – it's not when you look at it it's it's conceptual thinking and that's exactly what you do albeit in a different way 
like you're more attuned to in my eyes anyway i don't want to tell you what you are but in in my eyes i see you as the well how do how do these events relate to each other how do the the overall meaning the this the 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 concept the symbology of this event how does that relate to that where he was piecing together actual organisms how they would relate whereas you you pull out and you look at this this even bigger picture and try and fit that within the framework of of these other events so same approach same endpoint, I guess, different approach to me. And I, I was thrilled listening to you talking about this now that you're going to do some stuff that isn't written in stone, that you're creating yourself. That's wonderful to me because mm-hmm. I don't want to see a strict retelling of Fantastic Four. We've all been there, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, and that's what Ed didn't give us that either. So the fact that you're, you're sneaking some new stuff in there, oh, that's the gravy. On top of that, I, I, and I, I think the new stuff is gonna. It, it'll be almost like a Trojan horse too, because, like, you'll th- there's, like, I, I'm I'm kind of lulling the the reader into like a like a, a sense of security or something where it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, this is all you know. This is it. This is this is this is the legend of the Fantastic Four, and then you can kind of slide those little curveballs in. And it, it just gets accepted as like, oh, yeah, this is part of the Fantastic Four, too. Like, like, like I, I want it to be hard, like people to kind of be like, OK, now, how much of that did he make up and how much of that is it? Because I think sometimes the answers are surprising, uh, you know, where it's it's like something that's really out there that that you might think that like I invented out of whole cloth. Actually, you know, it has precedent in, you know, some, you know line of dialogue that somebody had and then vice versa something something that 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 i insert that that seems like oh yeah this is all of a piece with the fantastic four story and is actually you know like a like a totally original creation like like these are the kind of things that that make make it interesting to me right and us um did you have to revisit the issues uh before jumping into this or did you just pick and choose what, what books to you know brush up on i mean i like to go through all of it, like when you start getting into the nineties, like it's uh, overwhelming. So, I mean, I, I had like a file of um, all, like just the entire, all of the fantastic four, like all of it. And I was just uh, like, I, I kind of skimmed it. Like, like I, I, I was reading, I was speed reading it mm-hmm. and just working my way through all of it and, you know, grabbing like, okay, uh, here's this part, here's this, and just kind of like, like grokking it or whatever, you know, just kind of, you know, g- getting a sense of, of what this whole huge tapestry is and just, just grabbing stuff and, and not even putting much thought into it, but just grab it just to kind of acquaint myself with like the totality of it. And, and I got, um, like I got as far as, uh, uh, through through like the Simonson stuff like like I I, I did the burn I did uh, Engelhart uh, Simonson like and then um, the like there were some things that I I read in like Wikipedia and stuff about the DeFalco uh, Paul Ryan run that like sounded interesting or something like grist for the mill like things oh you know I could maybe do something with that um, but those those are the ones like I didn't I didn't uh, check those out too close I just kind of you know, grabbed here, here and there. And, and, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm at, like, when I get closer to those parts of the story, I'll, I'll maybe, you know, t- take a closer look at that stuff. But it's like, man, Fantastic Four is big. It's, it's a lot of comics. Sure. And yeah. uh, it's, it's overwhelming. And, and, um, 
you know, to be honest, a lot of it, like, like not very pleasurable. Like, like Fantastic Four is an amazing comic. It's great, but it's got some low lows. Yeah, yes, yes, it does. <laughs> and and like my hats off to anybody who who's like read all of it, uh, you know, or or you know attempted to read all of it. Yeah, we won't point fingers, but it th- there are some some valleys in in it's the a journey. Yeah. It is, yeah, and and uh, to me, it's a lot of fun to take an idea that was a dud, like like you know, like take a uh, like a moment or a story point where it's like everybody agrees, like oh, that was a mistake, that didn't work out, and then see if you can rehabilitate it, like see if there's some gem in there that that you can you can turn in, you know, turn sure. into something. Sure. And then, so in terms of the design of the book, um, will it be? available in the like the same kind of treasury edition uh too at some point so that it stays consistent or is that to be determined yeah i don't i don't know if they've announced that or made but like that's you know that that's what i assume like that it's going to be it's going to be the two issues and then collected in like a treasury like sweet like, okay. uh, like eds so awesome. it'll be like one treasury instead of three which yeah. is like that's a dream for me too like like uh i always wanted to to do something in that treasury format for sure you know a lot of people cut their teeth on those back in the day because you got a lot of comics for not a whole lot of money and and it was they were diverse and you, you got uh, a story from you know a couple of years ago and a story from maybe you know a couple of months ago and then you got something new in some cases mm-hmm. and it was a nice way to get a a great sampling of of Fantastic Four and Amazing Spider-Man and um and the format was just unbelievable there yeah, was no was no missing it that was it for me like um, like just, yeah, the format's so attractive, you know, you go in a comic store and it's like, well, there's like a really big old comic book that I can get for about the same price as one of these like bagged and boarded, uh, you know, smaller comic books. So I, I definitely went for the treasuries and, um, and yeah, that, that, that first Fantastic Four treasury, that was my introduction to Fantastic Four. And I loved it. Like it, like to me, like so far that's like, the closest thing we have to like a great fantastic four graphic novel is like that first one where it's got like, um, it's got this, the Galactus, the coming of Galactus. And it's, and then it's got some little fun bits and pieces in the beginning. It's got the impossible man. And then it's got Dr. Doom and, and Submariner teaming up. Like to me that, like that, uh, th- that was what made me a fantastic four fan. So like to, to be able to work in that, in that format is going to be great. Yeah. And, the treasury editions were also good for hiding dirty magazines <laughs> because that's what I used to do. I used to lay in my bed and have, because they were so big, they would, they would totally eclipse the dirty magazine. I'd be like, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Mom and dad, they peek their head in the door yep. and they just see you with this big, uh, cheerful, you know, <laughs> he, Spider-Man. Comic. Yep. He's reading Spider-Man, but inside was a comic, like say comics book or, you know, playboy, nothing real. Real raw, but because I was only I was young, but they were great. You didn't I, have we yet. No, that that's not until I was at least twelve. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! So any kind of trepidation? I mean, this is this, you've arrived. This is your thing, right? What are you scared at all? To to to? I mean, I know you're going to pull it off. We all know, but. You have to be a little bit nervous going into this, right? Well, uh, like up until this point, like it was just, it was just, it's just me at home playing around with this. Uh-huh, right. Like I'm just having a good time. 
and then the press release comes out and then you know people are you know saying things and and into it and so, and then it's like oh no you know now i have you know then you start to feel it because it's like oh there's people who are uh anticipating this and 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 i don't want to disappoint anybody and i want to deliver and you know so that's when the pressure starts uh but i mean like you know i i, I it was kind of good that i built up to this you know like like if this was you know if it, if it were earlier in my career that that kind of anxiety would be a lot harder to mm-hmm. navigate but but it's kind of like i kind of got here in, in sort of baby steps so it's like okay yeah I've, I've felt that pressure before and i know that you know you just kind of have to put it to the side and just you know put one foot in front of the other and just focus on the task at hand and and uh you know and, and that there's no other way like like if you really allow yourself to feel that full like you know high wire act of it where you know, and really think about oh man you know what could go wrong with you know then then you just get that creative paralysis right so you just gotta you know jump in you know keep moving and and hope for the best and, and just just be true you know be true and and uh you know do your thing yep and uh, i teased it uh before we went into the episode proper but i think the most impressive thing out of this whole ordeal for me is that you did it without compromising your style. You did, sure, yeah. You didn't, you didn't change at all from the, the self-published stuff, using the crayon layer. Um, you, you've previously worked on properties that were cult favorites uh, eventually, but they weren't like, like monster, huge uh, attention getters. But you, you pulled them all off, and now you're working with Marvel, and you're still the same guy. You're still Tom Scholey, the man you know, who uses the crayon layer and, and who just – you get the, the magic of, of sequential art making, but you didn't sell your soul to get that dream project, which is, is amazing to me. How many guys can yep. say that? I think it's a it's a harder road and it's a longer road. Like you know, you can maybe get further quicker if you're kind of just willing to, you know, fit yourself into whatever the mold is in the moment. You know, so so like I'm I'm glad it worked out. You know, like like because you know there 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 were you know steps along the along the road. You know, moments where it's like okay, is this ever going to get any like like you know you, you got to have like a lot of a lot of faith in in you know, sort of what you're doing. And, and, and so, yeah, it, like it, 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 it worked out. Yeah. But if you did alter your approach and, and had gotten, you know, more and more and more work, wouldn't it have felt like a hollow victory? Because you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have been the Tom Scholey that we know. You would have been that well, other person who, who, you know, is playing the game and is getting attention, but it doesn't really feel right to you. Sure. Then, then you're trapped in hell, like right. a, a hell of your own creation. Because then you're, you know, working on on a comic in a in a in a way and a style and a and an approach that that you just don't that just doesn't mean anything to you. And and then you're real like you're really miserable. And and again, without naming names, you do kind of see some comics from time to time where you're like, okay, nobody on that creative team could possibly be enjoying right. what they're working on. Yep, and and that includes oh, the reader. Sure. Right after a while, yeah, yeah. Like, what? What's the point? It, like, if nobody's having a good time, like, what? Why are we doing this? Exactly. You are going to be using the crayon layer for uh, FF Grand Design. Well, I mean, it's it's not specifically the crayon layer, but it's it's you know smudgy and 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 
fingerprinty and oh, and great you know nice. pencil and greasy pencil kind of you know mm-hmm. it's uh it's 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 the same it's the same aesthetic um you know i've i've you know changed a couple nuts and bolts here and there uh along the way but but um yeah it, it'll 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 you know it it'll it's um you know gobots it's it's more or less the the same as what i used on gobots sweet i don't want you to spoil anything but Fantastic Four fans are aware that Mr. Kirby dabbled in collage along the way. Mm-hmm. You going to take any um, stabs at collage, maybe in this thing? Or I mean, I'm open to it. I, I had I just passed my first moment where I had been considering doing collage, and I I didn't do a collage. Uh, but there's going to be other moments. It was um, when. Galactus arrives and his ship starts landing and like all, like a piece comes out of the ship and then a piece comes out of that and the, and Kirby did it as like this uh you know this collage and so I I, I did that moment but I but I just I just drew it so mm-hmm. but there'll be there'll be other there'll be other opportunities Nice be cool to to see yeah, it would. Um, I mean, I've done collage before. I, uh, uh, right. Yeah. So, so it, you know, it, it's 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 in my it's in my bag of tricks, and and yeah, it would be super appropriate um, for, for this project. Uh, you know, just just because of how Kirby used it. I always um, I always wanted to see like those collages get remastered uh, for these reprint volumes because. He would make these like when you see the collages in person, they're colorful and, and beautiful. And then in print, it was just like really bad printing of these sort of photographic um, images. And so and so they have this, they, which which is also kind of a cool aesthetic. But I'd love to see somebody reconstruct, you know, out, get, get a pile of like old uh, Life magazine, you know, and, and, and put them together and then, you know, produce them in full color. Uh, we got like a little bit of that in like Kirby's later, later work, like hunger dogs has one of his, you know, presented in full color. And then, uh, there's a couple captain victories that have, have the, like it, it really, it's really dazzling. Like if you've grown up seeing, um, you know, the, the, the way they were printed and then to see like what was on Kirby's, uh, you know, desk, it, it, they're pretty dazzling. Right. I've never seen an original collage page. Did he, did he stat the images? Uh, it it varies. Um, like the, one of the ones I saw was um, for, uh, Forever People issue three cover. So it was you know collaged you know stuff cut out of magazines and pasted down, and then yeah, a stat of um, you know the Forever People you know on top of that. Okay. And I've also seen like where he would give instructions of how to assemble it. So I think, um, I, I, I don't think, uh, in every case he assembled it himself. I think, I think there are, um, uh, you know, a lot of cases, especially on the Marvel stuff where he would, uh, you know, just draw the different elements that are going to go in and then do a quick drawing showing, okay, put, uh, uh, the recorder here, put Thor over here, and then, and then he'd send his collage, and then it would be like the, the Marvel production office would, would put all those puzzle pieces together. He didn't have any time to be thinking about that. He was like three steps ahead of everybody. That's facts. You know? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had a question? Yeah, um, it's a bit of a tangent only because it's, um, I was asked to ask you, and, and it's because of, uh, partly in, because of uh, Ed's variant cover, but Tom, should the thing have teeth? Um, yeah, I mean, the, th- the thing is a super versatile character, like, like, you know, Kirby from one panel to another can draw him in like radically different styles and it all reads as the thing. So yeah, some panels he's like, it, you know, it, it, it makes sense to have him look like a Muppet or something, look like cookie monster or something <laughs> with like no teeth at all. Mm-hmm. And then other panels, yeah, have him grit his teeth. So, so yeah, yeah. Thing with teeth. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I don't have any issue with that. I, 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 uh, yeah, that, that, that's perfectly fine with me. Excellent. Okay. Now that uh, the Frank Miller pastiche we're talking about that that Ed did, were mm. you in on the the thinking process or the the conceptualizing of that? Because I I, yeah. I don't understand why he did. Um, I mean, it looks great, but I don't understand why he did a Frank Miller pastiche of well, Dark Knight I mean, Returns with the thing. I like. I wasn't in on the decision making, but uh, it's one of those ideas where it's like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that. Um, <laughs> Like, I mean, it, it makes sense to me, like, also, like, early, early on, when I was first working on this, like, before I got the go ahead and was just doing it for fun, like, I was playing with the idea of, like, okay, what if you fuse Jack Kirby and Frank Miller and, and then do that for the Fantastic Four? So I did some stuff where I would t- take some Sin City stuff and, and, and you know, merge because, like, I feel like, I feel like you could make something you know, really like, like those two guys, if you like, like sort of marry those two approaches together, mm-hmm. you know, you create some new organism. So I don't know if, if Ed would, had that in his mind or else also like we, we'd been talking about Dark Knight Returns, uh, like on cartoonist kayfabe, we did like a whole series of videos about Dark Knight Returns. So, so like it, it's on his mind, but like also those like that Dark Knight Returns, um, there's there's so much Marvel in there, and there's so much Kirby in there. Like that, the way Batman's drawn in there, he's almost the Hulk or the Thing. So it just like to me, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, like like that 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 cover of Dark Knight Returns is is almost more more a, a drawing of like the Thing or the Hulk than it is a drawing of, of Batman. So so to me, it makes a ton of sense. But but it uh, it's it's hard to to you know put in in sort of. Uh, uh, like rational terms, it's right? More, it's more like, it makes great visual sense to me. Yes, and it. But when you try and explain it, that's where it breaks down. Like it, this was produced by another company with uh, a man that didn't work on the Fantastic Four, and yet. But I mean, when you see it, you're like, oh, oh that you you yeah, get exactly. you, you're that's, struck that's by the, the coolness of it. Yeah, that's the thing of where I'm like, I wish I thought of that because because I'd been you know coming up with all these different cover concepts. Let's do this. Let's do that. And, and not once did I think of that. And, and, and I'm kind of kicking myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that Ed. Ed's, Ed's done uh, variant covers for like a, a couple different things that I've worked on. And they're always like standouts. They're always these like, ama- like he did a really great um, Transformers versus GI Joe one where uh, like, you know, sound wave. It, it's, it's like a, uh, like a like a rap battle or something. It's you know Soundwave and and and, and the Joes and so like like his his uh, you know it, when when he's able to do a a, a a variant cover, I'm always I'm always game. Hell yeah! Yeah, <laughs> his Transformers covers are great. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and um, so your your other partner in crime, um, the cartoonist Kayfabe. So Ed has had his moment in the sun. 
you're getting yours. If you had to pick a project for G- for Jim Rugg, what would it be? Yeah, that's um, like I, I saw people saying a couple things for him, and like the one that stood out to me as like, okay, this this is perfect. Uh, would be like Daredevil. Same. Like, like a couple of people have mentioned Daredevil, and it's like, okay, it like you could see how Daredevil could translate into like aphrodisiac's world. Yep. Like, oh direct, my god. And, and, and oh. You know, like, and, and it's almost like the same way that Ninja Turtles is kind of like part of the Daredevil universe. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like th- those guys seem to me like, like, like you know, like if if you pan the uh, pan over a little bit, you'll see you know Jesse going by on her skateboard, you know. Uh, through Crime Al, through uh, 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 Devil's Kitchen or Hell's Kitchen or whatever. Yeah, like, I, th- like, I think he'd so, be perfect yeah. for Daredevil. And I think in like in Aphrodisiac, he had a character that that just just makes like a brief appearance, maybe just a couple panels. That was like a superhero that was the devil. Like like he he was he was you know more of like sort of a but but it was like a guy who dresses up in a devil costume and fights crime. So so it just. Yeah, that would be like I'd love to, I'd love to see his Daredevil. Like like I mean I feel like he could he could take on any of this stuff. But yeah, Daredevil makes a lot of sense to me. That's a great <laughs> choice. I, I I threw out yeah. Avengers just because X Men Fantastic Four Avengers has seemed to make sense to me. But but Daredevil's uh, that's the that's the more nuanced and thoughtful choice. So kudos yeah. to you too for. I've seen Defenders too, but I have to I, I have to agree with the with the Daredevil pick. Nice. Yeah. That, it, but yeah, any any of those, any of those, like like Jim's one of like Jim's super versatile. Like like he's oh, done yeah. every everything under the sun. So so yeah, you you give him anything and and he'll he'll you know reinvent it and and make it really shine. Well, I think we this... should have him do uh, we should have him do new universe uh, grand design. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I think probably like like if you asked him what he would want, he's so into like the deep cuts. And the real obscure stuff. Yeah, that I'm like I'm sure his his you know his instincts would be something like yeah new universe or, or super pro or you know, something crazy like that. Well, we have an inside yeah, joke thinks, going around on eleven o'clock that once you guys talk about something, then it's okay for Jason to like it and talk about it. <laughs> and <laughs> and I said to I said to David, I said you just watch. And, and next time we go to New York Comic Con, Jason's going to be like, yeah, we're going to hit them back issue bins. We're going to get them quarter books like Jim. <laughs> and, and I see it coming. But no, if, if you validate something, it's okay with Jason. <laughs> Jason, are you, are you a Tim Vigil fan? So that's, that's, <laughs> this is what he's talking about. So, right to it. so, so first of all, uh, I, we're taking it for granted to our listeners. Uh We've mentioned it, but 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 uh, Cartoonist Kayfabe is the new hotness. It is you guys doing uh, a video podcast, and then it's also available in audio. But you got to watch the video. And uh, first of all, you guys are ridiculously prolific. Like I think one of our secret sauces in, in these ten plus years is that we're super pro- prolific, and we also are reliable. We never miss a week. You guys are cranking out the content. Um, and for those that haven't seen it, it's it's basically a gigantic nostalgia bomb it, it is you guys talking about whatever you want but like you said you've talked about you know you've talked about the dark knight you've talked about akira um and and then you also have interstitial eps where you shoot the shit about stuff like cons you've gone to or, or whatever floats your boat you look at wizard magazine from different periods of time and, and reminisce it's just great it's it's especially because we're all you know roughly the same age so the, the the stuff that floats your boat from uh from from times gone by is 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 
dead at the epicenter of the stuff that that, that floats my boat. So I love the show. Um, but I am I am not historically a Tim Vigil guy, uh, other than a very candid and fun conversation that I had as the third leg of that conversation with Dap and Vince at uh, what was that New York? Uh, yeah, New was, York. Yeah. Um, no, I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of his work. I've seen uh, I, I, I've seen his OA, but uh, no, I'm I'm I've read very little uh, Tim Vigil. So listening to um, Jim and Ed's uh, Heroes Con video chat with him um, was fascinating uh, on a lot of levels, and I was hitting these guys up saying, "You got we got you got to get up on this vid, this Tim Vigil," and then they were making fun of me because they've obviously read a lot of Tim Vigil and talked about him, and it's like, oh, now that. Now that the Pittsburgh guys say it's cool, you're into it, and uh, I, I may read it and hate it. I, I don't. I can't say that I'm. I'm for sure going to love it. Um, but um, I, I find I think not dissimilar to people that listen to our show. Like they tell us all the time. Well, you guys talked about something, and it, it made me interested. I, it's the same thing. I just I found the conversation and Tim engaging. I'd never seen him talk so candidly before about his career, and uh, that intrigues me. So now that I feel like I have a better sense of the man. I, I want to see his work. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, like just doing a show like that, doing, like, cartoonist kayfabe or, like, you know, you guys with your show, I think, like, for a creator, it can be really powerful because, like, if people get to know you kind of, like, as a person, it kind of gives them an, a doorway to your work. Like, because, you know, if, if you hadn't seen that interview with, with Tim Vigil, it's like all you would have is just these, you know, like, sort of dusty comics in a in a back issue box they're just kind of like oh, but but you kind of hear him talk you hear him tell his story here where he's coming from and then it gives you like just so much context the next time you do hit one of those things in in like a quarter box 100 yeah. percent. yeah well that's why i think the the kayfabe isn't valuable for you guys because when we were coming up how many times have you read a comic and i mean you're at the point where you actually start to notice the names repeating like oh this this stan lee guy he writes a lot of comics or and and you see a roy thomas and and you you get to see the names over and over but you never back then anyway aside from the bullpen bulletins page you not, never really got a sense of who these people were now you can click on a video and and people know who tom Sholey is you know, 10 minutes after watching it because they see you're animated, they see you speaking, they see how genuinely enthusiastic you are about the work. And that carries over, I think, into the comic shops because, oh, yeah, this is that guy that's on the kayfabe. I know this guy. I'm going to try his book. So I, I think the, the videos are, are invaluable, uh, and at least an invaluable asset to your creative process. They won't – I don't think they'll make or break it, but they'll, they'll certainly help it, Right. Yeah, I mean that's the theory at least, and and you know it seems it seems like it's bearing out, and 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 this uh, like I feel like this Fantastic Four thing will be, you know the the biggest test of that so far because it's like that was, you know that's something that sort of, you know, that news broke after kayfabe, like like um, you know Ed's X Men, you know launched and got started, you know well before any of this started, so this is like the first time like one of us has has you know you know, started like a, a totally new project, you know, coming out of that. So, so I think we'll really see like what, you know, like whether that is, and, and I mean, my, I'm working on the, the assumption that, yeah, that's true. I mean, but aside from that, it's just a ton of fun. You know, we're just hanging out we're just talking and, and having a good time. But, but yeah, if, if, if that aspect works out too, that's then, then it, you know, there's no reason not to do it. Right. 
right? And you guys genuinely like each other, and you can mm-hmm. feel it. In the, I mean, it's there. It's it's palpable. But um, so, do you think that this grand design formula, now that there's another iteration coming up, do you think that this is a good way for Marvel to expand, to reach new audiences, to reach the people that maybe came over with Ed from Hip Hop Family Tree and really um, I'm looking at the people that have no or very little interest in actually reading superheroes but have followed this creator who did them a solid with Hip Hop and now he's working on this X-Men thing so let's try this. Do you think there are ways to to pave new avenues for, for to widen the readership through this? Yeah. I mean, and like, to me, that's the whole point. And, um, and it's something I've wanted a really long time. Like, like the, the, the grand design, like masthead and logo and, and concept is like a really good specific way of doing it. But, but just like, you know, taking me out of the equation, taking Ed out of the equation, there's like this hunger, like they talk about like, how come, you know, superhero movies are the biggest thing ever. Like why, why doesn't that, uh, or why does that rarely transfer over to the actual comic? And it's like somebody walks into the shop and they're like, okay, X-Men, I want to check out the X-Men. What's the X-Men? And then it's kind of like, well, there's that over there and there's this. And maybe, you could re- and then you start to, re- and you're like, well, where do I start? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, you can start with X-Men number one. And then you're reading X-Men number one. And it's like, okay, that's kind of, and then X-Men number two. And, and it's like, and then, you know, you get up to like, like X-Men number 23 or, you know, like, like it's just, it's just too much. And then even, even the prime stuff, even the best stuff, like to me with like X-Men, it's like, those uh uh you know claremont burn issues and the hellfire club and all that's like when you're in that that stuff's amazing but like if you hand somebody a volume of that like we're acculturated to that stuff like like we you know went through that that way of of finding this stuff at a time when there wasn't an internet you know like 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 we came out of some some world that just doesn't exist anymore that like may as well be you know the pleistocene era or something and now it's like you know, you hand that book to somebody and it's like, what the hell is this? Like, um, you know, it, it's it, like, I just I just want to find out about the X-Men and you're giving me homework. Like, I just want to find out about the Fantastic Four. And you're giving me homework. So it's like, just have something so that someone comes in the store and they're like, I, I want to find out the story of the X-Men. Just like, oh, I want to find out, you know, the story of, you know, I want, I want to watch Star Wars or what, you know, like, I want to find out the story of this thing. Have something you can point them to. And that's what this is. It's like, right. you read... X-Men Grand Design, and you're getting the story of the X-Men. You're getting, you know, and, and if you want to dive deeper and, and branch out, it's got all kinds of suggestions in there of, like, check this out. And that's how this is. It's like, what's the Fantastic Four? Like, I want to read the story of the Fantastic Four. So, from where I'm sitting, that's what I'm making. I'm making the story of the Fantastic Four. When you hear Fantastic Four, this is this is it. You read it, and then, uh, and it's like a complete experience, start to finish, and then you can go from there. So it's like a so I, like I, I see that yeah for for that could apply for every single thing. And DC should be doing this too. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. But I, I see the grand design formula now that it's uh, in its next permutation. I see it as a really beautiful cliff notes. You know, mm-hmm. to 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 give you the get you in on the ground floor yeah. uh, of of these these entities or groups and tell you what you need to know about them moving forward. So here's all the backstory you'll need to enjoy the stuff that's going on now. 
but the the sticky wicket part is that it's going to they are illustrated in a way that you're not going to see with their average comics so there that may be a little bit of a speed bump there because i mean if they're grooving on ed's work or your work and then they go into the regular title they're going to be like wait a minute this is this is nothing like i'm seeing in those big old books so maybe maybe as a result some years down the line the actual marvel universe look will change this is my dream will change to to mirror the grand design books i mean what are the chances yeah. i don't know but it'd be nice i mean it's it's got to change like the look of marvel and dc has been pretty much the same since uh, maybe like 1999 or so. like like it hasn't changed very much it's it's starting to change a little bit here and there on the on the margins on on like the non flagship books, it's it's been such a slow change, and it's been, um, you know, just as a fan of comics, it's been frustrating to to watch because I mean there is a lot of you know great work being done, but I just I want more flavors of it. Like I right. don't want just flavor. So this is this is like another another flavor, and, and yeah, well it's the- a sticky wicket though. I mean we talk about it all the time, right? It's 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 I mean everybody says oh I, I want different characters I want new characters I want new artists I want new styles and it's not listen I'm I'm at a point especially of late I've been very critical of superhero comics I I'm just not feeling most of them but we've certainly been very very fair I think in our criticism of DC and Marvel over the years as well as praising them when they deserve it but I, I got to say I I don't think it's I think they both have tried plenty of times to uh, expand the market in different directions, whether it be demographics or who they're targeting the books for or the styles of the book. And at the end of the day, and we can blame the direct market or the way the comics are sold or whatever, that, that could all be part of it. But at the end of the day, Marvel and DC will put out any book forever if it sells. And most of them just don't sell. So I always hear this sort of mantra is, oh, they should take more chances. They take plenty of chances. It's just that for the most part, the chances don't deliver economics, and so I, you know, it is a frustrating thing because um, certainly a lot of the books that resonate with me at this age, having read a million, you know, mainstream stories that they start to sell, seem the same are the fringier books, but that they both put out, and uh, I, I just go into it now where I consider us lucky if we get two arcs, if we get twelve to fifteen issues of one of those fringier books. I consider it a success, a win as a as a fan. Right. So, well, for me anyway, I think it's a it's a problem with yes, the current art styles at Marvel and DC are good. Some are are even great. Uh, Liam Sharp. I mean, there's a lot of guys doing exemplary work at Marvel and DC. But when you go back to the Marvel and DC that founded my love of the medium. You're never, ever going to replicate the array of talent that were on all those books. Even if, I mean, even if you didn't like George Tuska, George Tuska is still better than most of the guys working on the mainstream books now. You had Kirby and Basima and, and Infantino and, and uh, Starlin and all these major league players, like huge talents, and they were all doing the books at the same time. When I compare the current stuff to that, that my gestational phase of Marvel, which we're talking about 72 up, right? It's, it's incomparable. There's, there's, they can't stand up to it. Even the best illustrator 
working today on the mainstream books pales in comparison to the the worst of that group. So for me, it's just a, a case of it'll never live up to that my golden age. It never will. Number one, I think that's absolutely batshit bananas crazy talk. Number two, <laughs> I think you're comparing the ultimate of apples to oranges. You're talking about an era that they were putting out 10, 12 books a, um, a month, right? So you're talking about an era where the best of the best were working because that's all they were putting out. Now you're talking about a situation where each of these companies put out 80 to 100 books. So you tell me you take the 15 best cartoonists at Marvel and DC right now, and as draftsmen, you're telling me they're not as good as, as George fucking Tusca? No, that's ridiculous. No, I'm, that's, that's exactly ridiculous. what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you're wrong, but that's cool. <laughs> um, I'm not. But cool. No, you are. You're caught up in the nostalgia bomb, which is to say, just like everybody's favorite bands and everybody's favorite movies and TV shows and books and comics are when you first discover them. Sure. Because you can never cat right. But, but I'm saying, but that's not an objective. Uh, objectively, and I've had conversations with other cartoonists. In fact, I'd love to hear talk. The, like the, the art of cartooning and drawing now is at a ridiculous level. The amount of detail these guys have to put in, the amount, it's, it, it's, it's for the most part, incomparable. And well, listen, the details I are love relevant. Buscema. I love Buscema. He's my favorite, so it's cool that you throw him out. But let's not forget, there are a lot of dudes that you conveniently didn't throw out just there that were, that were ham-handing out Marvel bullpen work and were not very good. And they were getting touch-ups, and they were getting inked over like, Let's not pretend that everybody working in that era was a master draftsman. They were not. More often than not, they were. But anyway. No way. Okay. Let's move on. What, what else do you want to talk about here? Come what on. you been reading, Tom? Well, I mean, this is something, like, yeah, that, I, that I've been wanting to talk to you guys about. Um, I uh, read uh, Superman Year One. By Frank Miller <laughs> and, and uh, uh, John Romita Jr. And I'm dying to talk to somebody, but like, uh, like Ed and Jim don't really keep up with like <sighs> new superhero comics sure. as, as much as I do. So, like, so it, it like I'm I'm always trying to you know get those guys like, hey, let's re- let's let's review this or that. And and but uh, so like, yeah, those guys hadn't checked it out at all. So so I, I just I haven't talked to anybody about it yet. So I'm. Have, do you guys have any any uh, insights on that? Yeah, a little. <laughs> we, yeah. we, we, what is it? Maybe two, three weeks ago. We, yeah. Whenever it came out, we dove deep on it. Um, but uh, well, I we should probably let Vince speak on it because he was the most passionate about it. But it, it let's just say uh, the high level was that it did not resonate with us collectively. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, I mean, because here's here's my question. Like, it reads like no other Miller thing I've ever read. <laughs> like Vince said, that was Vince's point. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah. I got to go back and watch that episode. I, I, I checked out the the Josh Bayer episode. That was the, the last one I watched. I'll, sure. I'll have to look at the yeah. your 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 take on this. But like, yeah, it was like no, and it's like okay, is Miller like at some new phase now, where where he's you know presenting something like he's got a new approach, or is it that there's something specific about Superman? Like like my suspicion was always that you know his ideas about Superman are very different than his ideas about batman and so he's got a different approach or is it like you know he had that superman run that he was gonna do with steve gerber uh until like john byrne got the job and so it's like are these all old like does he have this treasure trove of like you know old scripts and stuff that he's he's you know redoing or is it like is it ghost written you know is somebody is it like um 
is it like you know is Brian Azzarello ghostwriting yeah, this? And they decided like let's take his name off of it because that might have hurt Dark Knight Three. So let's let's make it a true ghost and take mm. the you know like like. I don't think I disparage the work of Brian Azzarello like that because no, he's a all. very good writer. <laughs> right, not not at all. But I'm just saying, like, if you know, if you're coming in for, uh, like, you know, Dark Knight One is Frank Miller, Dark Knight Two is Frank Miller, and then Dark Knight Three has somebody else's name attached to it. You know, like, like even even you know, like like you know, yeah, like Brian Azzarello. It's still like, okay, well, I want Frank Miller. Like, I don't, you know, I don't want anybody standing between me and and my Frank Miller fix. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is. Um, I know that based on what I read, that the approximations of what he considers to be human beings in in those books are unlike any human beings that I've ever encountered. (laughs) Um, It just seems like it's written – it was written by a being that had just come to our planet and maybe observed for a couple couple hours and said, okay, I have enough data now. I can write a story featuring – what these human beings like these human beings it, it, these, it, these small human beings yeah it's known as children right it's it, it's so weird it's it's off kilter and i don't think it's intentionally so i think i don't want to talk about anything about frank's health but it just seems like uh, it, it seems like there's a degradation somewhere within frank miller whether it's his reasoning or his thinking, or he doesn't really care for the project, or and that's one of the things online. There was a a, a thread somewhere that that uh, it said uh, Superman Year One Number One proves that Frank Miller does not understand the character of Superman, and I agree with that. But they used Dark Knight Returns as um, data to back up their claims and I don't think so. I think he understood Superman. The Dark Knight Returns Superman at least in that first four issue uh prestige mm-hmm. miniseries, that's a believable character with yes. real real motivations who feels duped uh by the the government that he's been lapdog to for many years and but he's still doing the job because truth justice in the American way, right? He has to maintain that character, at least in a timeline format, when you say, okay, what would Superman be like at this point if you if you work out the numbers to this this maybe kind of sort of future DC universe, you can expect Superman to maybe act this way. This Superman in year one, I don't know who th- this kid is. I mean, it's just, it's weird. He, he He's doing things that that are all the stories of super and I know it's not based on all the stories of superman superboy that I've ever read but he's not acting or or his mannerisms are not in accord with every other superman story I've ever read so I don't know what frank is doing here and it's just a series of bad choices like putting the the potential rape scene in with Lana Lang I I don't get what he was going at with that it's it's trite and it's it's hokey, and it's something it's that them. it's something that a kid in uh, like a junior year um, writing class kid would say. Oh, that's nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that because everybody will feel for Lana. You know, like yeah, they will. But it's it's a let let. Why don't we just start sledgehammering babies and puppies too while we're at it? You know, it's just an easy way to gain the sympathy of the reader. And I don't know. I I, I hated every page of it, and, and I I don't want to keep 
beating this dead horse, but it's it's horrible. If, if I was at DC and he turned that in, I'd be like, we just paid this guy a boatload of money and he just gave us a big old turd. Even John Romita Jr. didn't step up, I don't think. I think the artwork is yeah, nowhere near his finest work. Well, it's, 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 kind, it's kind of um, Romita Jr.'s kryptonite because he's, he's one of my favorites like working today. But his, like just children, like when he draws children, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, not it's not his strong suit it's, right uh, right you know they, they kind of look like homunculi yes uh, it's kind of, you know it, it, it's like um you know it, it's not it's not the best use of of, of his considerable talents right uh, i mean like my my thought of of like the writing in it was um like it was the most rigorous writing i've seen from miller since maybe like you know year one or, or like some early daredevils like it 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 was like the least gonzo story he's done in decades like like it, it isn't built around huge panels with a crazy fit like it's got moments it's got like a flow it's 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 like disciplined writing so like it just um you know like i it it doesn't follow the trend that that he had sort of been on like the direction so maybe like maybe we're seeing uh like a like a reinvigorated Miller or, or something like, and, and when he was interviewed about it, like that, it, it like when it was around the time of dark Knight three and he was interviewed and, and he's like, you know, I don't, I'm not really that involved in dark Knight three, but I'm working on this new Superman thing. And I'm, I'm really like rolling up my sleeves and going deep on it. So I don't like, it's just bad. Like I want to, I want to know the story behind the story. Like I, I, I didn't have the reaction you had to, like I, 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 I didn't love it, but I, I enjoyed it. And I'm, um, I want to see where it goes next. And, and, um, and there, there were some decisions in it that I thought were pretty interesting decisions. I, I liked, um, the first person narrative of, um, you know, baby Kal-El, you know, in the beginning narrate, like I've never seen that before, like, like his, his journey to earth told from the first person. And, and, um, it made sense. And like the first person narrative is, is like part of the Miller bag of tricks, but it, you know, I just, I, I never seen anybody go for that, and, and it, it, like I thought that worked, uh, you know, really well. And he's doing some things. I just, you know, it's like, I just, like, I, like I want to, I want to know what what the story is with this. Wow, uh, you have given it far more um, of your time than I'm, I'm willing to do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I, I followed, I followed Miller through everything. Like I, I, you know, like like the Dark Dark Knight Three, and I, I loved those uh, mini comic, those Dark Knight. Oh, three same, sure, same. That he did, yeah. and then uh, the Xerxes and stuff. Like I, I've gotten some, every Miller comic, I've gotten something out of. Like like I found some new new trick or some yes. new something. You yes, know? and that's so, part of my I'll, dismay I'll, I'll, with I'll this book. Him. He's got he's got you know like I'll I'll follow him you know to the end. Oh, I I will too. But that's you 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 just made my point when. You have a track record that includes Daredevil: Born Again, and Dark Knight Returns, and uh, Batman I, Year One. Batman Year One. I love DK Two. I think I think that DK Two was when Frank became godlike to me, because yes, we all love Dark Knight Returns, but DK Two was a big stiff middle finger. To everybody who loved DK1, he said, screw you, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. The, 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 whatever I want to do, Frank Miller's my favorite. And he brought that to Sin City, and he brought it to DK3, and all the projects, 
um, Tales to Offend, uh, Big Boy, like all those weird ass, I'm just going to do what I want to do projects. That's my Frank Miller. And then he comes to Superman, the biggest gun in the DC universe, and he gives us this mundane, borderline boring tale of I don't know what. It just it it totally pulled the rug out from underneath me. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted I wanted Dark Knight Metal. Equiv- I wanted the equivalent of Dark Knight's Metal with Superman. I wanted it to be bombastic. I wanted him to piss people off by changing the origin yeah, story. Yeah. yeah, it's just totally Hunter S. Thompson approach to to retelling the Superman um, mythology, and we didn't get any of that. We got this boring tale of these kids in school. They look like Muppets. It's just weird. It's it's uninteresting. Yeah, I think you hit on it because when we first talked about it, I think that by way of context, D- David and I have not been as big a fans of Frank's more recent work sure. before yeah. this um, than, than Vince. Vince sees the, the best out of it, and I, I love him for that. Um, but my criticism of this is exactly what you said, Vince, and why I think it's an epic fail is that I, I thought it was like mundane. Yes. And, and that – like. Like I didn't, I didn't care for DK three at all, but I at least appreciated it was Frank trying to do something. I, I it didn't work for me, but I I applauded the effort and thought it was crazy, and you know, I so as an artistic expression, it felt like Frank to me. This just felt like Frank needed the paycheck, and he wrote a mundane Superman story, and I, I can't be that. I mean, I, I don't. No. So I just, I almost felt like and. And you might have even said this when we reviewed it, Vince. It almost felt like Frank didn't write it. Tom like just someone said, else wrote yeah. it. Oh, yeah, no, Tom, I'm saying, but you agree that it, it's just, it's, I, I just, uh, I don't know. It's just like it was, it was disappointing in 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 how poorly written it was because it was mundane. Like right. if you're, if Frank Miller's going to fail, and I, I think again, David and I probably think he has failed more in the last couple of years than Vince has. At least fail being Frank. Right, you know. right. Take the most outlandish idea and then go five steps further with it and just yeah. make the most out like of it. What was you. that Fakakta book he did that was supposed to be the Batman story and then he could never Holy, Holy Terror. Holy yeah. Terror, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I love. But No, yeah. right. And say, again, listen, I, I didn't care for that either, but at least I saw it for what it was and I, I, I thought I applauded the effort. Like I wasn't yeah. mad to have read that. I, if you're going to fail, fail spectacularly. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you you found something in it, Tom. Yeah, I mean, it's like to me, it's like another mystery. Like, like there's going to be a really interesting graphic novel about the making of <laughs> Superman Year One. I'll read that. Yeah. Ay ay ay. So, what else do we have? Yeah, what, what else? What else has been floating your boat, especially if? Uh, this is your chance to get some uh, more recent reads off of your, your chest since uh, well, yeah, your mean, homies you in Pittsburgh don't read new stuff. You mentioned Liam Sharp, and so I've, like, I've been enjoying the Green Lan- the Grant Morrison Green Lantern with Liam Sharp, and and uh, and and I mean that's that's very Gonzo. It's it's kind of like a like a 2000 AD approach to um, to Green Lantern. I've just been enjoy- I've been enjoying the soap opera of it. It's it's just got you know these really cool cliffhangers. And, yeah. And the art—it's—it's it's, you know fun seeing somebody you know sling ink the way uh, Liam Sharp does. And he's been in the trenches for a long, long time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah very he's, seasoned. He's wonderful. Yeah, and then um, I've been like following like like Squirrel Girl, um, like all the way through sort of like the the original artist um, 
and then and then now they, they they've had like a new artist for a while and, and like like those those are good too but like that that like it's it's the, like that um series i feel like is kind of like can you know now that it's it's coming close to its ending can kind of stand pretty nicely next you know some of the the marvel classics like you know like like you know ditko's and stan lee's spider-man or something like like i feel like they they really built something there like just just really nice and uh um you know um interesting like like that's one of the things i was sort of referring to talking about how like interesting things are being done on, on the fringes at these companies it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because i do notice that Squirrel Girl, especially the original team of uh, Ryan North and Erica Henderson, was getting love in places that weren't coming from conventional Marvel fans. Um, even um, I know a few OG original art collectors, and I'm talking about like dudes that have million dollar plus collections, but it's all 70s and 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 earlier Marvel and DC stuff. Like I, I know a few of them that sought out. Uh, Erica Henderson's art from that book, and and anytime I see somebody step out of their comfort zone, whether it be the kinds of uh, back issues they buy or, or the kind of art they buy, that that always piques my curiosity. And I, it was really stunning to see some of these dudes who hadn't bought a modern comic page in in decades all clamor for Erica Henderson's work on Squirrel Girl. I mean, that speaks to it. I. I it, I, I got to say, I don't know that I, I think I read the first two issues. I, I didn't keep up with it, but but uh, it's, so that's just high praise coming from you to, to well, put yeah. it up there with with Ditko Spider Man. So so that's speaks. the thing. Yeah, it, yeah. It, like in the beginning, like those first couple issues, like like I think it was good, you know, like from the beginning. But mm-hmm. it's really like, like after you've read, you know, ten issues, then twenty issues, like it really builds nice, like this the same way as you know some of those old old marvel did you know they they just sort of slowly build their world piece by piece and it's got like it's got its own voice its own like corner of the marvel universe but but still like interacts in a really interesting way with the rest of it and it's just like conceptually um it's got like i love a work like especially nowadays in superhero comics where there's like a million ideas per page and it it has that like uh Ryan North, the writer, he just kind of has this like mind where he's just like packing it full of content. And then there's like, you know, uh, Squirrel Girl's Twitter feed, you know, which is like the real, you know, like a real account and stuff. And, and like her, there's a ton of story told just in like in the intro pages w- with that. It's and, and it's it's just this like really, you know, densely populated world with a ton of like puzzles and sort of, you know, mind games and 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 and, you know, brain teasers and things that are like um like really um like nicely uh integrated with the stories um you know like like it really it, it just feels like very very classic and and very new and there's there's just there's so much personality like i think like what makes the art appealing is there's just so much personality like the the characters really seem to have like a life and like a like a twinkle in their eyes and like a real like you know it's it's just not like rote it's not just you know posed figures. It's like but like there's there's a re- real life to it, which you know does does you know evoke the, the classics. Mm-hmm. Neat. Well, and and they did let him go for a long time on the book, right? I mean, it was there's been two volumes by um, Ryan North written them all, right? And it's mm-hmm. so it's like well over fifty issues at least, right? Yeah, it's it's been a long run. It's been like um, 
I don't know, maybe like five or five or six years. I think. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and just, I mean, I can't imagine where, you know, like logging that many issues of any, like, it, like it's you know, like my hats off to anybody who can stay on the grind for that one. Cause you do kind of like, at least for me, like I get kind of restless. I'm like, okay, I want to, I want to try something new. I feel like I've, you know, said everything I need to say about this. I'm ready to, to, you know, start off something new. So, so it, it like, you know, it was, it was, it seems like it was, you know, sort of walking away from something that was successful, just, you know, you know, for, for, you know, their own reasons, as opposed to, you know, something running itself into the ground. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to, to, to your, I was going to say to your point about that, it's like, that is a, a, a big difference between you and Pisca, right? Like, like Ed seems to relish the, like committing to something for many years, right? Like he did it. With, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. Like that's his thing. I mean, he, Grand Design was what in like 2016 was when it was announced. So yeah, he worked on that. It was like three years of yeah. his life, and yeah. I just like I'm just not willing to commit that kind of sure. time. like every every project he's done has been these like deep dives, yeah, these multi-year yeah. commitments, and and they're you know they're they're solid gold. They're like you know they're like these you know perfectly executed visions. Um, it's just like it's it's just for me that's like. Like that was kind of the hardest thing for me, because um, I kind of took some time to like, okay, I'm I'm gonna do my creator own thing, but then I'd like I'd like start working on like a creator own thing, and then I'd get like maybe 20 pages into it, and then I'd be like, oh, you know, and, and then I'd have like an idea for some other thing, and then I'd start that, and then get 20 pages into that, and then oh, you know, because because like, I, like I I didn't have to answer to anybody, so I was like. It was kind of like I was having 20 pages of this project, 20 pages of this project. And and it's like I needed – like one of the good things about doing these kind of like work for hire things is like you have people kind of you know saying like, okay, wh- where's that thing? We need that thing now. And it kind of gets you past – you know, it kind of keeps keeps you focused. Yeah. On, on the, but but when you're just – when you're just working for yourself and just following your own muse, it's, it's, it's hard to not just, you know, just keep, you know – creating one tangent after another Mm -hmm. no you should Mm -hmm. you should have did your version of um the tom sholey version of barry windsor smith storyteller sure where you where (laughs) you can do three different stories in every issue and just go off on wild tangents yeah what i mean what and and again like that was another thing he kind of swallowed himself up on on that project like you see those those uh you know volumes they made of 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 where it's like he'd he'd start writing a storyline and be like no this isn't it scrap it start again you know he and and that like that's some of my favorite stuff um you know but it it, like you are you're walking this this tightrope walk where it's like you you don't want to lean too far this way you don't want to lean too far that way you want to keep it loose and follow your muse but then you gotta stay stay disciplined at the same time and, and you know focused on your goal it's 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 a hard, you know, it's a, it's a hard line to walk. So like when somebody, somebody like Ed is able to like commit to a, an entire, a completely self directed project for, you know, half a decade or something, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's really astounding. Yeah. And he has laser focus too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Is it fair to say he is the driving force of the organizational side of kayfabe as a result? Like, is he the one that's keeping y'all on track and making sure you're putting out the content and editing and all that stuff? Yeah, I, I don't know, like, I mean, yeah, he definitely, he's there, but I mean, J- Jim's like a super, like, organized, systematic kind, kind of guy, too. Okay, so, okay. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, the, the two of them are, are really, like, you know, they're very, very, uh, very on, on, on point and, and on task. 
respect. So what else do we have to talk about, people? Actually, it, it, it's a cornucopia. Yeah. Especially since uh, we are two new comic book days since we all last were together. Um, oh, shit. Look at so, that. Uh, Look at that. You're can, right. Uh, Jason and I can possibly tag on. Hells yeah. The last issue of The Walking Dead. Oh, that's. Uh, uh, yeah. I think I didn't think you were going there, but yes, that's true. Uh, why? What were you thinking? I thought you were going to say that it was a banner week last week for Image Comics because we got two number ones that that I know we both very much enjoyed. That is true. Okay, so we can uh, we can we we'll start with those then because they are brand new, and we've talked about Walking Dead playing in the past. Although this is a big deal, but yeah, let's um, you start with Sea of Stars because I know you loved it. Yeah, don't spoil it. Yeah. No, oh, I won't. I, well, I mean, I'll, I just I'll talk about the synopsis in the sense of what was in the solicit. If that's all right, that's cool. Okay, uh, yeah. Sea of Stars is uh, a new series that um, it would have been next to impossible to not enjoy it, given the creative team that's involved. But it is uh, written by uh, Jason Aaron. I'm sure, people have heard of him. And Dennis Hallam, who many of you may not have heard of, but you actually have, because that is Dennis Hopeless's given name, and he has abandoned the Dennis Hopeless to go now by his given name. So Dennis Hallam, Hopeless, and Jason Aaron are the writers. Uh, and uh, Stephen Green is the artist. Now, uh, we've known Stephen for a long time, uh, qu- quite a long time. Met him at Heroes uh, through... Um, Swain, actually, uh, shout out to Swizz, uh, many years ago introduced us. Uh, Steven has done um, a decent amount of comic work, mostly in the Mignolaverse to this point, Hellboy and the BPRD mainly. Um, but it's fair to say this is his breakout book uh, in terms of the broader uh, comics fandom, I think. Um, and it's well-deserved. And then I can't mention... Uh, this book without also talking about Rico Renzi, who's the colors, because the colors are magical in this and I think really do put the capper on uh, what makes this book so beautiful to behold. Um, but at its heart, this is a story, of a, it, it is a space-based story, but at its heart, it's a story of a father and a son. The father is a space trucker, and he's on a mission across the universe with his son who didn't want to come along but he had to come along and hijinks ensue uh which essentially separate them from one another uh in the middle of an unregulated dangerous part of space and um that's that's really the 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 story uh so far and i compared stephen green's uh art this week when I was discussing this issue on our Facebook group um, to Tezuka. And, uh, you know, I I, re- I, re- I know, listen, I know, you gotta see it, but I'm telling you, it, 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 I, I saw Otomo, I saw, I, 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 I think it was that good. It was that good, and I, I just think it was inspired work, and uh, it, when I read it, as I was reading it, I just was filled with with visions of that and thought, man, like this is something else, something else. So, uh, and, and by their own, by the creative team's own admission, they were trying to take inspiration from Miyazaki. So, um, it's all part of that same 
uh, circle of influence in terms of the feel of the book. But uh, yeah, and you got giant space monsters, including what uh, some have described to me as a space whale, thinking that <laughs> it would make me very excited. I'm not sure I would view that creature as a space whale per se, but but it's still a badass creature nonetheless. And uh, yeah, it was an absolute home run. I thought it had a ton of heart. Uh, I, I, I'm desperate to find out what happens next. I already love, I already love Caden, who's the kid. Um, I think as a dad, I had the feels. So just, just, it was everything about it was, uh, was absolutely terrific. So, um, I can't wait to see, uh, the second issue. And I really think that this is the book that's going to make Steven a household name. Did, did you agree? Did, Did you like it that? I, I did like it. I didn't love it as much as everybody else has. Um, and, but that's, that's not, um, that's not a knock in any way, shape or form. I, it's, it, it's an absolutely gorgeous book, Rico. I mean, it's the, the space scenes that he has laid out in, in this book are absolutely gorgeous. Um, um, I, I like, I like the way the story's moving. I, I like the characters. I, love the friends that uh Caden makes at the end of the issue um it just it's where i get tripped up is where i get tripped tripped up it with most stories where um kids are a part of and and that's where um that kids are just kids and and it's it's just which is why i'd be a terrible parent they just they they don't they, they have to be kids and they, you know, they, they won't listen to, you know, he doesn't listen to his dad. If he listened to his dad, things wouldn't be as bad. And then of course we wouldn't have a story like this. So you got to go with it. But, uh, you know, if the kid just, it'd be a hell of a dull one shot if, if Caden did listen to pops, but, uh, it still looked beautiful. But, um, no, I think, I think it's a great setup. It's, it's, it is. you know And, and the fact that, you know, dad's on a mission now and 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 it's um you know it's i i i know kids are deaf slackers like i can't stand slackers yes yeah 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 <laughs> i mean i can't stand slackers either but yeah yeah that's kids uh, is, a, is a kid in a car yeah is a kid that doesn't listen to his parents yeah that's it um you know but uh yeah <laughs> no, it's it, it, but it is. It, it's a fantastic first issue. I'll, I'm, I'll be there for the second issue, of course. It, it's a fantastic creative team. It's a cool setup. Um, it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I definitely think um, they're, they're onto something here. I, it's just it as I because I, I read this after I read Space Bandits, and and this just this struck me as. One of those, um, uh, an image cycle that we've seen over the years where uh, here's a bunch of comics that are set in space because we've already had the stories that were set with a bunch of vampires. And before that, we had uh, you know, race cars. And, and so there's just, they, they seem to just, every once in a while, you'll get a bunch of pitches or I don't know when the pitches come in, but you'll just get a bunch of books published by image that are all thematically somewhat similar and and not that and but these i mean you're not going to f- confuse sea of stars with space bandits you're not going to confuse either of them with saga everything kind of and saga's the long running in that it's not included in that but there is there, there's just um they all stand apart on their own it's just one of those things where i noticed 
that they all kind of come out at the same time and in this case pretty much the same week and and they're all um the the setting is but i guess that's no different than you know if you're in the 80s and, and you're reading you know four marvel comics they're all taking place in manhattan so it's not like that setting's any different but um still these are first issues and and you're trying to get readers hooked and, and make sure they come back for the second one and and, and you you may want to kind of differentiate yourself a little bit but um they're both issues are um, visually different, um, and even the story is is different. Where, but Sea of Stars, I believe, is an ongoing, right? Yes. Or at least yeah. so. So yeah, and and the the Space Bandits is of course a a Miller World Netflix thing. So that's that's launched as a that's pitched as a mini. But um, no, Sea of Stars is definitely everything Jason said. I, I absolutely concur with it. My 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 knit with it is, is completely mine and, and I doubt anybody else has it. So it, by all means check it. it. It's if you haven't by now, you absolutely should have, uh, should be checking out sea of stars. So of the two, you lean towards space bandits. So why don't you speak on it? Um, yes. And, and that is, um, space bandits is, as I said, it's, it's, it's one of Mark Miller's newest, uh, latest, um, I'm not going to call it a pitch, but it's it's his latest. Um, <laughs> uh, it's his latest Netflix idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah, from Miller World. Uh, but it is beautifully illustrated by uh, Matteo Scalera and uh, colors by Marcello uh, Maiolo. And um, it is, it's, it definitely kind of feels a little Millery when, when it starts off. Uh, but basically, uh, we're introduced to um, one female who is the brains behind a um, a thieving. I don't know if I call it a thieving ring, but they uh, but she's kind of in charge. There's uh, three or four dudes who are her the muscle. They they're, they're the people who who collect um, all the uh, all the goods. Um, they they rob passengers on a um, on basically a space cruise. Uh, um, and they're like space Somalis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. And and it's almost like it's the 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 space Titanic from um, the uh, Doc Two Christmas special. But it, it's one of those things where it's just everybody is is having a grand old time, and then everybody falls asleep um, because gas has been released, and and that's when they get robbed. So there um, are uh, our heroes in, in quotes are counting their money, uh, and the men end up turning on. Um, on Cody and uh, Cody's the fetching young lass who uh, who's who's running things. Um, so Cody gets um, taken out, and uh, the men take off with the money. Uh, but then we cut to a young woman. It, it very much reminded me of Lilu Dallas multipass. Uh, just the whole. So, I mean, not that they were surrounded by garbage, getting ready to go on a um, on on a cruise, but um, the way he approaches the the window, there's a man who is about to hand in a female, a, a young woman, for a reward, um, and they have their own scam going. And every time she gets arrested and is on her way to prison, um, the transport gets hijacked, and so now. 
not only has have they made off with the money, but now she's escaped again, and they can just keep running the same scam over and over again. Um, until they don't. Until the man turns on her. And um, so now at this point, she isn't about to be rescued. She is on her way to prison. She is now... Um, and, and, and prison is the crustacean, which is just a very large um, shrimp-looking uh, or, or um, crawfish-looking beast that's floating in space that they've decided to um, mine, and that's where um, the prison is. But the end of the issue, um, we have uh, basically two women who have been wronged by the men in their lives. And uh, now we'll see how they decide to uh, <laughs> exact their revenge. But I just, I, I, I dug the whole setup of it and I, um, it moved pretty quick, but, and, and Mateo's artwork definitely fit the story because since it is a quick paced little tale, um, as his style is just absolutely perfect for that. It's, um, it's, yeah, you know, all all the characters were um, they the ones that you were supposed to remember were memorable. I um, you know everybody else played their part really well. I just think um, as far as the story and it hooked me and and um, and made me want to read the next issue right this minute. Um, Space Bandits did it for me last week. I was uh, I I you know and it's and it's Miller. It's it's one of those things where you know I'll I'll. I'm gonna give him a shot. Um, whether or not he can keep me going and 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 stick the landing, we'll, we'll we tend to see. But you know, I'm hoping that this is uh, that this isn't a um, a the prodigy situation. And and whereas Jason and I enjoyed the first issue, but it started to lose its way along the way. Um, I have high hopes for this, mostly because of Matteo, but because I think this kind of idea um, Miller could have fun with and and. Um, I feel like with the prodigy, he kind of painted himself into a corner. I'd, Miller is an extremely um, clever writer. Uh, he's, he's not um, Ellis or Morrison, but he's he's he knows how to tell a story. Um, but I don't know if if a character like the genius in the prodigy. Um, it, it's like you want to be, you want to make sure you know what you're doing if you're writing Reed Richards, because if he's supposed to be the smartest person in the world, you don't want him just, you know, getting getting stumped on on a math equation that anybody can solve. So, um, the characters in the Space Bandits, I think, are more, um, from what I get out of Miller, is more within, more in his wheelhouse. So I think I'm going to have fun reading this. I think he's going to have fun with the characters and. Um, and I, I, I have high hopes for it. I hope uh, I'm not let down. But yeah, I really enjoy Space Bandits. I concur. I mean, listen, uh, he, they had me at Teo, right? I mean, I, right. Um, it is interesting to me that Teo decided to do another space book uh, as he's wrapping up Black Science, which he's been doing for six years, seven years now, um, nonstop. So. Um, I'll be interested to see after this five issues is done if he takes a big departure. Because when we talked to him in New York Comic Con, he had, his plan at the time was to take a, a year off, basically, yeah. and just work yeah. on covers, um, basically just to make some income, but just to relax and then work on painting, just to just get back to actually fine art painting. 
just to sort of cleanse his his artistic palate. But listen, when Mark Miller comes calling and he's got that Netflix deal and he tells <laughs> yeah. you, you get in on this, you're going to get points on uh, when Netflix makes it into a series. I, I can understand putting off your hiatus for a few months. Yeah. I can understand oh, yeah. that. So, but I, you know, I think I'm probably more consistently a Miller fan than you guys are, but I have to say that you hit on something love or hate Miller. Um, and, and I agree with you. I thought prodigy was not the most, uh, memorable of his series. Uh, he always goes from zero to 60. He, he gets in and he gets out. I mean, he is all about pacing. You know, he's all about, I'm going to give you a very quick, fast story. And that doesn't mean it's always perfectly executed, but, but I, I do think that, uh, when you look back now on Miller's career, he has essentially over the last decade become a guy that's going to give you a short, fast paced story. And, uh, a lot of times it hits, sometimes it doesn't, but that's kind of his, his MO now, right. It's just yeah. giving you these, these, these short compact stories getting in, getting out. So yeah, he doesn't waste your time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah. And these are two bad bishes. Yes. Bad bish, yeah. 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 Bad bish, for sure. So, what you got, Vince? Hmm. Hey, Tom. Yeah. Do you ever read any Zagor? I'm fascinated by the title. It sounds good. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. Well, um, Epicenter Comics have been reprinting all these Zagor storylines, and I read the largest of those for this week, clocking in at almost 700 pages. Holy shit. Yes. You read 700 pages for this week? Yeah. Oh, even book of the month. I read Zagor, the Alien Saga, which was written by a man named Guido Nolita, but that's a nom de plume. It's re- really Precious. Sergio Bonelli. And uh, we, we know who Sergio Bonelli is, right? Um, illustrated, uh, among others, mainly illustrated by Galliano Ferri. Uh, it tells the story of... Zagortine, which is, uh, he's known among the Native Americans as the spirit with the hatchet. He's a white man, and he is among, uh, team shirt, uh, team sleeveless. That he doesn't wear sleeves. And <laughs> he, his deal is, he, he used to be known as Patrick Wilding, but he has a sort of Batman esque origin which i've never read but i i've done my research his parents were killed and and now he's the protector of the native american tribes um especially in this volume he's he's buddies with the mohawk and their leader tonka he's uh tonka's blood brother so every great hero needs an arch nemesis and zagors is the maniacal mad scientist professor helingen now you know he's bad because he's got hell right in the middle of right in the beginning of his name, Professor Hellingen. And so um Zagor and his buddy Chico, he's got a sidekick who is a rotund Mexican with a penchant for food. Uh much like Chico is kind of like the wimpy to Zagor's Popeye. Chico's not willing to fight very often. He he would much rather fill his belly than anything else. He's not very attractive. He's bumbling. He stumbles a lot. He's basically the comedy relief of this thing. So Zagor and Chico live in a cabin in the Darkwood Forest. And you know where the Darkwood Forest is located? 
North Northeastern Pennsylvania. Hot damn. Oh my lord. Yes. And uh, so uh, the big blanket overall over these stories is it takes place in the early 1800s. So um the the United States is right on the cusp of the industrial age but not quite the sky's not littered with airplanes. You know, you got your trains, but, you know, you have, you have no combustion engines of any kind. And um, this Major Norman Perry, um, a union man, comes to uh, Zagor and says, that dude that's been plaguing you for, for many years, uh, Hellingen, well, get this. We got him. And the government has incarcerated him in a meteorological facility we like to call Skylab. I don't know why they call it that, but they're calling it Skylab. And the government, shades of Operation Paperclip, like with the Nazis, the government is letting Professor Hellingen, they're giving him carte blanche. They're giving him anything he needs to make those wonderful little gizmos he makes, but the United States is going to own all of it. Can you do me a favor? Just you know him better than anybody else. Come take a look at Hellingen and tell me if you think there's something off about him. Like I think he's acting. I think he's 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 biding his time and he's planning a, a way out. You need to to suss this out. So they, I mean, we're talking 700 pages. So in between big story beats, there's a lot of little character bits that are prolonged 700 pages right so on the way to this skylab installation they run into a guy named baron icarus feather his real name's baron icarus la plume but they call him baron icarus feather because la plume is feather and and his deal is he's trying to make a steam-powered airplane and he got farther he he flew farther than he ever has, but his airplane was knocked down by what he calls a meteorite. Uh, but it wasn't really a meteorite. I will tell you why. So they get to the Skylab, and all of the soldiers are dead. They 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 this remote military installation. All of the uh, soldiers they look like mummies. They're 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 gray and they're desiccated and they're 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 just strewn all over the place. So Zagor and company think it's a disease. They've never seen anything like this. They don't know what it is. They're like, holy shit, there's a new disease out there. We better check the rest of the installation. And they see a tombstone, and it says Professor Hellingen and the the date of his death. And Zagor immediately is like, that's bullshit. And they're like, no, look, it's a tombstone. And they find a diary written by... um, Dr. Goodwill, which details the, the events leading up to Hellingen's death. And Zagor's like, I'm telling you, it's a bunch of bullshit. I know this guy. He's not dead. Turns out that the thing that knocked Baron Icarus's feather, his, his plane out of the sky, was a UFO, a spaceship. And Dr. Hellingen had created this um, device able to transmit a message across great distances. And he's, he's testing it out. But in the meantime, he's pretending like he's crazy. 
like you know he's he's eating kleenex and stuff not really but he's just doing like <laughs> like weird shit and he's all wigged out and then he'd have these lucid moments where he he would create these these gizmos so he creates this this um uh messaging device that can send a message all the way across the earth but in doing so he picked up these transmissions from this alien race called the acronians and he then he builds a device to decode the language because he doesn't understand this alien language and he starts cozying up to the aliens he's like yeah i'm the smartest dude on the planet you want to come down here and get me out of this predicament because i can help you conquer the planet so the aliens are on his side there he calls them his space brothers and they come down and all the dead guys were the result of the aliens ray guns and how would zagor know that a ray he's, they've never seen a ray gun they don't even know what a ray gun is right so Helogen's working with the alien race, but Helogen hates Zagor, hates him with a passion because he beats him every time. And in order for Helogen to conquer the planet, he's got to get uh, Zagor out of the way. So what they do is they kid, well, they, they kidnap, much like Travis in Fire in the Sky. They shine their little beam from the UFO on Zagor and Chico and they take them up into the the spaceship and the introductions are there and in typical James Bond fashion Helengen tells him I'm going to take over everything you motherfucker and you're going to do it for me and they implant these little microchips in Zagor and Chico's necks so they have no recourse but to fulfill Helengen's wishes so what they do is they go down and they start rounding up all these Indians why? Well, they're going to transport all the Indians back to Akron and they're going to cut them up and drain their blood and see what makes human beings tick. And then they're going to just run roughshod over the planet and Helogen's going to be there later. And in typical fashion, this Chico character, who's a riot, he, everybody in this book has a catchphrase. Whenever Chico encounters surprise or dismay or wonderment, he says, Caramba y carambita. <laughs> Every single time, right? And even his real name is great, by the way, too. Chico. I was reading. Oh, his, no, I mean, his, his long name. name. Yeah, his full name is Felipe Cayetano Lopez Martinez y Gonzalez. Yes, <laughs> yes. He'll, he'll say caramba y carambita. Or he'll say, for all the mustaches in my family. And Zagor does it too. He'll say drums of darkwood. Like these are things that are repeated every third or fourth page. It's awesome, right? So um, what's going to happen? You're talking 700 pages. That's only half of the book. The rest of the, the grand space opera splays out in the second half, and I'm not going to give any of it away. I thought it was wonderful. Like, it was a friggin' page turner. Um, the artwork is, is it's a bit, a bit of a bait and switch because the dude that did the cover art, I don't have the book next to me, is a contemporary artist working today. This uh, Galliano Ferry draws very old school. It's brushy and matter of fact. He doesn't noodle. He just delineates the the things of importance and moves to the next panel. Where it, and it's not very. Uh, how do I say this without demeaning the artwork? It's not very stylish. He he doesn't. He's not. P. Craig Russell, he doesn't do these beautiful flowing lines. He just gets in there and does what he has to do. But all the characters are fully realized. It's wonderful. And um, the aliens are really creepy looking. They look like a, a cross between the Slee Stack 
and uh, that Color Forms alien. If you've ever seen the the Color Forms set that came out in the in the 60s, that one I forget his name, that one alien. It looks like a, a cross between them. They don't speak. They have these transmitters on their forehead, so you get little radio waves whenever they speak, like little uh, lightning bolts that you can tell that they're communicating. It's awesome, and I I just I had it was a bit of a nostalgia trip, even though. I've only read a few Zagor stories, but the presentation, the storyline, this it's like some John Jakes shit. Like it goes on forever and there's so many people involved in it. It's wonderful. Um, it's 700 pages. Cover price I think is like $34.99. I picked it up for 17 bucks, and it kept me busy for a week. Yeah. The, there's a – it actually collects a bunch of different Zagor storylines, but it's a big picture thing. You get a, a huge – introductory story where they meet the aliens then you get a uh, chico solo tale in the middle of it and then it finished it wraps up the storyline in the end it's beautiful and wonderful and just will will make you all kinds of warm and fuzzy happy yep right on i loved it and if you look in their previous catalog this month there's another zagor uh book called i think it's called terror from the deep but what it is, it's really, it's Dagon. H.P. Lovecraft's Dagon. Uh, Zagor is going up against uh, the, the an elder god. I don't know how that's going to play out, but whatever. I'm there for the ride. This this stuff is just great. I wish I had a whole bookcase full of Zagor books. And you, the possibility of having that is very, very real because Zagor has been published in Italy, I think, since the very early 80s. And it's still published today, so you got a lot of stuff. Much like the Disney characters, you know? Mm-hmm. There's been stories uh, featuring Scrooge and company that we've never even seen over here. Italy has a, a wealth of books that have yet to be translated. So kudos to Epicenter for doing it, because this just made my freaking week. Awesome. Yep. I loved it. Yes. It sounds right up my alley. And it's making me wonder if it's like something in my like <laughs> Italian... DNA or something because it's like, huh. like it's, it's so my kind of thing, you know. Oh yeah, you'd love it. There, there's one part where they have to warn the other uh, Zagor has to. The device is out of his neck, and he's got to warn the other Indian tribes that the things that he said to them previously was all bullshit. Don't listen to him. But the way he said it, he did it by smoke signals. So when mm-hmm. when Zagor is sending his smoke signals, each puff of smoke has the caption within the billowing smoke. So if he does three, <laughs> three, if he says three things in this panel, there'll be three billowing smoke things with the text in them. It's awesome. Like he makes good use of the medium. It's really well done. Nice. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Love it. Didn't you read a Zagor book? At some point, yeah, it was, I, it was gifted to him. Yeah, don't you have the Lost World or it? it it's the, I, I, yeah, I do have. I do have. It was a gift. Yes. So you haven't read it yet. Have not. Oh, okay. But now I might because you you made it sound dope. Zagor is great. He's a, a brown haired, muscular, dashingly handsome man. So who, muscular. Who just so happens to wear a cut off shirt featuring a red cut off shirt? So he's like freaking t- a big target. Like if you were uh, a Native American, you saw this guy wearing a red shirt running across, instant target, right? But and it has a Thunderbird type um, design on it, much like um, Magnus Robot Fighters, uh, a little bit like that. It's mm-hmm. it's it's wonderful. 
Yeah. I haven't read, read it yet, but uh, uh, some of our uh, EOC brothers that uh, that uh, of the gay persuasion were all raving about uh, the latest issue of Avengers because apparently there's some uh, <laughs> yeah I saw some, that. some 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 fan service in that. It was uh, it's not was, spring action. Yeah, that was Caleb's best thing I read this week. He was like for obvious reasons. <laughs> so what is that? Avengers twenty one or twenty? Yeah, I think twenty one. Yeah. Okay. Got to get them show notes oh, up to snuff. We uh we need to go over the book of the month, right? We do. Yeah, you better tell everybody what was what was selected and what won. And uh, <laughs> seriously, that's the problem. Not doing an episode for ten days. Yeah. So for those of you that only listen to the podcast, um, we we have already posted and it's been decided for this month's July book of the month. There was a little confusion. Um, I guess maybe the plan was to do. Each of us to take a month to nominate all of our stuff every few months, but got the signals crossed. I got a little uh, overzealous, and I went ahead and posted uh, Woodrow's choices. So I think Daps said he's going to wait a month or two before he does his. But either way, this was the uh, the month where, following up on Vince last month, last month I posted eleven choices that were all um, Marvel Marvel nostalgia bombs because. Uh, I haven't been totally loving the current output and uh, spending a lot of time the last couple months on the show talking about OGNs and the like. So I thought I would uh, flip the script because I thought most people would expect me to post a bunch of OGNs. And so I posted a bunch of Marvel collected editions and it was a spirited vote. Um, There's a spirited vote save for one. Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D. got zero votes, but... uh, Anywho, the, the nominations were Alpha Flight Classic Volume 1, Avengers Masterworks Volume 5, Captain America Epic Collection Society of Serpents, Excalibur Classic Volume 1, Exiles Volume 1, G.I. Joe Classic Volume 5, Nick Fury vs. S.H.I.E.L.D., Strike Force Morituri Volume 1, The Nam Volume 1, Wolverine, Enemy of the State, and X-Force, A Force to be Reckoned With. So um, it came down to the very last moments of the voting, and the winner by one vote with 22% uh, was Excalibur Classic Volume 1, edging out with 21% of the vote, Wolverine, Enemy of the State. So That, that our, would have been my guess. My guess would have been Wolverine, Enemy of the State. That's what I was pulling for. Yeah, it almost made it. It almost made it. But um, in any event, uh, later this month, we will be talking about Excalibur Classic Volume 1. And I ain't mad at that because it's uh, one of my all-time favorites. uh, Written by Chris Claremont with art by the incomparable Alan Davis. And uh, this particular trade collects Excalibur 1 through 5. And Excalibur the Sword is drawn... And I'm 90% sure it's available on Marvel Comics Unlimited. And I also think you might be able to borrow it from Comixology if you have Comixology Unlimited. But uh, it's certainly available too digitally if you don't have the paper. Shame on you if you don't have the paper because you should have the single issues of this. But but, uh, either way, it's going to be fun to revisit the Brits. How many issues is it in the... uh... Six. Oh, that's nothing. No. Sweet. Yes. Coolio. I'm looking forward to it. Same. I was rooting That's for that over an Enemy of the State. Yeah, I thought you liked Enemy of the State. 
I do. I do. But I thought I, that was one of the few Wolverine stories you actually liked. I like it. It's, it's one of the few Wolverine stories I own. But if mm-hmm. you are going to put it up against Excalibur, especially the first year or so of Excalibur, like, get no, there's no comparison. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, I, I would, for me, Enemy of the State, it's, I, I, I haven't gotten rid of that Wolverine run, so I'd be able to pull the issues out when we talk about it, but, um, Enemy of the State is, is a, it, oh, he's all right? <laughs> <laughs> I think too much of this coffee and knocked over this. There we go. That's awesome. Um, it's summer. Enemy of the States popcorn flick. It's 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 big. It's loud. It's I'm not gonna say it's a quick read, but we'd be able to um, move on it pretty quickly. Uh, Excalibur, especially with with Claremont at the start, um, it's gonna be a wordy bitch, and and it's it's gonna look gorgeous. And I haven't reread these issues in some time so i'm i'm going to enjoy it no doubt um i was just it was more of what i'm in the mood for and and i hate for excalibur to be considered homework i want to that, that's the kind of book i kind of want to just kick back and take my time with but we got a few weeks so there's no excuse word up all right Mr. Tom, anything to yeah. uh, to add? Well, I mean, I I have a question for you guys. Just um, like for Fantastic Four, like um, what stories? Like, what is there like any issues or or um, storylines that like stand out for you guys? Like, like other other than like the ones that that people typically cite. But is there is there like anything you're you know you'd be like wanting to see in this or or disappointed if if it didn't factor in in some way so when you say not so so not counting the obvious things like the galactus trilogy or something like that you mean that exactly yeah okay yeah oh the the one that comes immediately to mind is the john byrne terax silver surfer dr doom (laughs) storyline with christoph yeah Yeah, that story was great just just terax all that all that um the, the politics in latveria yeah um, Remember the you got that malice. You got that malice in it. I mean, no. oh god, no. Well, that's that's the, <laughs> that's that's the uh, the Falco Ryan stuff that I'm glad he kind of just uh, glossed over earlier. Um, two forty nine and two fifty, uh, where uh, Gladiator comes down, and um, cover to two fifty, I think, is titled X Factor. But I remember the cover to two forty nine, burn repurposed for Action Comics a few years later. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to see it really, um, given any sort of focus, because it is such a a punch to the gut. But there's the um, um, I can't think of the number right now. But the when when um, Sue loses the baby. Sure. Yeah. I mean, how about uh, three forty seven and. What through three forty nine and three fifty the the Hulk will be Spidey Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. That's fun. A little, a little nod to that, maybe I don't know. There's uh-huh. so yeah. so much to pick from. I mean, I know, I know. Um, I mean, yeah, geez, uh, plenty of Elijah, right? 
the the girlfriend that that was a scroll. <laughs> yeah, when the kid, or when yeah, when when the kid wanted to burn himself to be human torch. Oh yes, the PSA. And that what was, was the the digital Saudi Arabian guy Farouk that that popped up in the Defalco run? He was all made of planes. He was digital. Oh God. Yeah, I forget. I think it was Farouk. Oh yeah, Farouk. Yeah. He, he, that was a strange, strange time in Fantastic Four. Yeah, they were going for it. Like, like I, I, I applaud their uh, ambition. <laughs> and it, it sounds like you're not going to delve into things beyond, like, so, like Wade, Waring, Wade Waringo and all that stuff's not. That's off. That's that's off the table, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, you know, just it's just it's one volume. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like yeah. it's like going to be like eighty pages of story total. Totally, totally. So it's like, yeah. you know, like. I mean, like, is there anything among like, because because if there's some really amazing story, because I've like read some of that stuff, and I know there's like, you know, they go to heaven and meet Jack Kirby and stuff. Right. Like, yeah. Is, if there's any like highlights that you think you know could would be worth even just checking out, just just for me as like a fan of the material. Oh yeah, no, you could not go wrong if if you read that uh, that that whole run because even when because leading up to that, before that, um, there's. Uh, there's doom and and dealing with magic um there's uh, it, it's i mean it's 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 a gorgeous run to begin with but that that made me that was the closest because when when i think of the fantastic four yes of course there, there's what stan and jack gave us but uh and then i know that there were a bunch of issues between when their run ended and then john byrne came on and and byrne pretty much just wanted to carry the torch it was as if you know there were no issues after 101 and burn took over with 102 he wanted to kind of just keep that feeling um and burns kind of the ver burns the one that i tend to compare everybody to and it wasn't until wade and ringo came on that it made me think of that that's where it felt it reminded me of the burn stuff and um and then unfortunately since Civil War was happening, and that's when JMS came on, and and that that run wasn't all that great. And then, sadly, McDuffie was just a placeholder um, until Miller came on, and and I, I enjoyed his run because it was it was Black Panther, um, but it was it was way too short for my liking. But yeah, I Burn is where I would tend I, is where I spend a lot of my time when I think about the Fantastic Four. But um, there was there's an issue um the oh no see i was thinking of the one where um it's it's early i think it's his first issue not his first issue of of his run um there's this really nebbishy looking dude who who's got all this he's basically omnipotent and he doesn't know it and um he he's more powerful than the Fantastic Four, and and he kind of just bumbles his way through through the issue, um, almost destroying the world. Except um, his power just just gets the better of him, and it's just it it's the way this story was written and the way it was told. It, it was unlike pretty much any other issue that Byrne had done throughout the rest of his run. But it's just one of those things that kind of just sticks with me. But there was one. Yeah, it sounds kind of like a Will Eisner kind of story. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Mm. Well, there's Hickman's Council of Reeds, which was right. Yeah, fun. I just I was thinking. Right, I was going to say that doesn't sound like he's going that far. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked yeah. I liked um, 
uh, I, I liked Hickman's run a lot, and I, I and that sort of multiverse approach to kind of like a, like a Crisis on Infinite Earths approach to the Fantastic Four. I mean, I'm you know even if I just cherry pick like a tiny little piece from something because you just you just yeah. never know what's gonna what's gonna be that like puzzle piece that's that's that you need. One one uh, one little moment that I do remember cracking up about was when uh, when Herbie was in the book and then um, and then Burn Burn had Franklin destroy him. Mm-hmm. Like Franklin was, uh, I think, solving a Rubik's cube and his mutant powers manifested and he destroyed Herbie and like Burns basically f you to Herbie because you know they had they only had him in the book because they had the whole rights issue with Human Torch and the cartoon and stuff. So that was fun. Yeah, I'd like to fit Herbie into, like, I'm just thinking of, like, the, you know, like, the Baxter building just being filled with Herbies of, like, all different shapes and sizes. And then them <laughs> have sort of, like, a self-driving car, her, like, Herbie the love bug kind of hurt, like, like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. And, and you got, I mean, I know you're going to have the, you said you're going to have Galactus stuff, but you, you got to have some kind of s- scrolls in there, right? Like, at least. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the scrolls, yeah, the scrolls, you know, figure pretty heavily in there. Mm-hmm. Sharon Carter is a as she thing. Uh yeah, don't don't know if I'm gonna get to her. <laughs> you don't have to. It's all good. Well, I think oh, that was it. Rock, there was the um, uh, the uh, She Hulk was sunbathing and and the uh, the penthouse type hustler was uh, was snapping photos. Oh which, yeah. And then the yeah, guy I was. Like, uh, I feel like they stole that from an episode of WKRP in Cincinnati. I think like the same yeah. thing happened uh, to Lonnie Anderson. Lonnie Anderson and and the the um and the end of that issue um with the Stanley Larry Flint dude he um when Johnny bought the issue it turns out because it happened in an episode of Star Trek where the printer thought that the film that that the photos were were wrong so he he color corrected it to make she hulk look like a caucasian and and but johnny's like it's all right i have a pair of green sunglasses and i'll just go to my room and 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 but yeah i mean i but those are the those are the one-off little i guess burn just needed to come up with something before he he was planning the next few issue story but yeah i mean it can't all be gold but I tend to remember him. One of the best things is that we get to see Tom draw a character he seldom does with... Why? Uh, no, Amazing Spider-Man. How could you do the first couple of years of Fantastic Four and not have Amazing Spider-Man in there? Sure. So we yeah. get to yeah, see I've, you I've, draw him. Yeah, I've done, I've, done, I've done a couple Spider-Man so far in there. And, and yeah, he is, he is. it is fun. I mean, I, like every one of these things is so much fun. It's fun drawing the Silver Surfer. It's fun drawing mm-hmm. Black Bolt. The thing, I mean, I've... Like he's so much fun to draw. Like, like, man, th- that that just like he, it's it's a ton of like work drawing the thing. But like, I don't mind a moment of it. Oh, that's that enthusiasm. <laughs> we love it. Jack smiling. Yeah. And when when um, how much time between the first and the second issue is that to be determined? Yeah, they're going to be monthly. It's going to be October and then November. Oh, sweet. Oh, okay, so you'll be all done. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, you want to wrap this up, boys? Bring it home, Capitan. As usual, this episode has been sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get your books again fast, get them delivered right to your door for a fraction of what everyone else is paying. 
from Marvel. You got the Man Wolf Complete Collection for nineteen ninety-nine. Olivia James Nancy Hardcover Volume One out of Amp Adult for eight dollars and twenty-four cents. And from Pantheon, it is the Chris Ware Rusty Brown Hardcover for twenty-four fifty. In your travels, um, I'm not going to short shrift this, but I will say that because uh, Drawn and Quarterly is offering a new Linda Berry book and three uh, or two or three of her previous works, I thought it prudent of me because I love Linda Berry to read her uh, the book that really got her. The really she got me with this book called What It Is. And it's subtitled The Formless Thing Which Gives Things Form. And it, what it is is a treatise on creativity. And what she'll do is she'll ask you a question. And she'll say, can images exist without thinking? Do images exist without thinking? Thinking is a smelter. What is the ore? And she does these beautiful collage pages with car, uh, cartooning and cut paper and painting. Um, what are thoughts? How is a thought like an iceberg? What are thoughts made of? Can you have thoughts without language? And she never answers the questions. She just keeps posing them. What's the difference between lying and pretending? And she'll, she got to the one point, which is when she really grabbed me. And she says, when, whenever you're creating, there are two questions to never ask yourself because they will kill any kind of truth in the work. And it's, is this good or does this suck? You never, ever ask, ask yourself those questions because she goes into this sub-thought about thinking is bad in the creative process because it makes you aware of all your training and all your tutelage and all your thought processes and where thoughts come from and blah, blah, blah. She said, you have to blank all that out and just create. And she's right. Uh, when read in context of the book, and she explains it a lot better than I do. But um, if you are a creator of any type of thing, whether it be prose or visual art or audio or just plain anything, you really need to read Linda Berry's books because – She's she's a genius, and on the flip, on the the flip side, there's also a exploration of her early years, her bad mother, and how she got into drawing and and comics, and she used to read underground comics. So it's there's sequential art, and then there's this exploration of the creative process. That it's it's honestly one of the best books I've ever read, and it's called What It Is, from Linda Berry. It's by Drawn and Quarterly. And I would like to go deep on it one of these days. So if if you have it, read it. If you don't, get it. It's it's just wonderful. It opens nice. doors, and it's hardcover. Okay. Um, in your travels, um, I'm gonna make it short and sweet. I decided to. I I've missed out on the um. Um, pretty much all but one that was sent to me. Um, the Walmart 100-page Giants. So um, I read today Batman Universe number one, written by Brian Michael Bendis and art by Nick Darrington. And I had 
a ton of fun with it. It was a um, it's it's pretty straightforward Batman story where he's on the trail of the Riddler. So you already have me there. Uh, but there's also an appearance by Deathstroke and Green Arrow. So um, I enjoyed this first part a lot, and um, and it is because the Walmart issues this reprints the serials, the stories from the Walmart comic. Um, this issue introduces us for those of us who haven't met her before. Um, this is where Jenny Hex originated. This is her first appearance, or at least this chapter from, from the Walmart book. Um, and then we see her in, in young justice number one, but, um, Batman also stops to have a chat with Jenny Hex because the, um, the mystery, the riddle he's trying to unravel takes him to her. And then, um, and then he continues on his way. And, and that's where, um, Deathstroke comes to play and, and Green Arrow. And, and I was a little, I wasn't as, I think I was an audible. Oh, when I got to the end of the issue, because I didn't, I, I didn't know it was over. I, I, I was having so much fun with it and I'm just, I'm, I'm swiping pages then. And I get to the, to the end of it. And I was just like, that was, that was, it wasn't quick, but I was like, I, I wasn't ready for it to end. And, and I, I was having, I was having a lot of fun with it. I, I dig, um, Bendis's take on, on Batman. I, I like here more than, um, more than so far in, um, event Leviathan, but I, um, it's it, it's Darrington is the uh, is the star here. It, it just, the work is absolutely stunning. So in your travels, Batman universe. Right on. Um, in your travels, I'm just going to make it a clean sweep for image this week. Um, came out this Wednesday. In your travels, pick up and give some love to Bitterroot Red Summer Special. So a month or two ago, we wrapped up the first arc of Bitterroot. The creator-owned work by David Walker and Sanford Green and Chuck Brown, which looked at the Sangurai family who have been long-standing monster hunters, and uh, it was um, the first adventure ends with uh, some pretty big cliffhangers, as well as the return of a member, a couple of members of the family that uh, were heretofore thought to be dead. And while we're waiting for the second arc in earnest, uh, our uh, our crew have put out this awesome one shot, which is oversized and it is six stories. It's a bit of an anthology, uh, but they're all written by uh, Walker and Brown. So it's the regular writing team um, just with different artistic assists. So first story in the book, uh, Edda is drawn by Sanford with uh, Daniela Miwa on colors. Then there's a story called the arsenal, which is drawn by Lisa Weber with Kelly Fitzpatrick on colors then there is Red Summer, the namesake uh, story, uh, written, I'm sorry, drawn and colored by Daniel Lish. Then comes Tulsa by the incredible uh, and long-running creative partners of Chris Bruner and Rico Renzi. And then Ladies' Night with uh, another EOC alum, Kari Randolph, with a color assist by Matt Herms. And the last story uh, is called Barzak, and it's uh, by Dietrich Smith with Anthony George on colors. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and it's a look back at different moments in the Sangurai family's history, including, for those of you that did read the first arc, when you say the uh, Red Summer, you know it's significant, because um, in this first arc, they refer to uh, a 
a series of events that happened in 1919 um, called the Red Summer, where the we don't have all the details in the first arc, but it's it's referenced as a period of time that they don't want to think back upon because it nearly decimated the family and they lost a lot of loved ones during it. So we get glimpses of that in this issue, uh, kind of filling in some of the backstory blanks. And uh, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, Like any good anthology, all of the art chores are very different and distinct, which I think is, uh, is, is all the goodness. And unlike a lot of anthologies, since it was all written by uh, the main writers, it's very uh, cohesive. So, two big thumbs up to uh, the Bitterroot crew. Nice. Neat. Uh, Tom, anything you would have them read? Well, yeah, this isn't a comic. This is just like a, a regular like book with no pictures. But um, it's it's called um, Atomic Habits. Um, I forget the name of the author, but it, it like I've been reading it. It's it's really good. It's um, it just talks about like how we acquire good habits or bad habits and how they, you know, how they stick with us and, and, and how they're with us in, in ways we're not even aware of, like just patterns of thought and things. And um, it's just been like super interesting and super helpful. He kind of like breaks down what the components of, of forming a habit are. It's like, it's like four parts. It's cue, uh, craving, response, reward so it's like something in your environment or something inside of you sends you like a cue sends you a signal and then it like kind of leads to a it makes you crave something you know like oh i want to have like you know like a piece of cake or something and then um your response is like whether you eat that piece of cake or whether you decide not to eat that piece of cake or whatever and then the reward is like okay i ate that piece of cake and now i feel you know this great feeling in, in my in my mouth and in my in my stomach because I just ate this piece of cake or you're supposed to like reward yourself, uh, you know, internally kind of like, Oh, you know, good job. You didn't eat that piece of cake, you know, like, so, (laughs) but it like applies it to like all these different, different things. I just, it's, it's been super interesting and super helpful if there's like, you know, some good habits you're trying to develop or, or some, you know, bad habits you're trying to, to rid yourself of. Sounds great. It does. It's uh, written by James clear for those wondering. James Clear. Cool. Yeah, it sounds good. Awesome. All right, everybody. Hey, thank you for being here with us once again. We want to give a big old hug to Tom Scholey for sitting this out with us and uh, cannot wait for Fantastic Four Grand Design. One book, congratulations. We're going to blow our socks off. Um, In the meantime, if you would like to check out the EOC universe, go to the Facebook and the Instagram and the Twitter and now the Reddit. It's on there too. Yes. So you yes. could you could spend time with us in addition to this and we would love to have you. In the meantime, while you're thinking about all that, say goodnight. Can you even hear that? Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. David. Night. I don't have a can yeah, of tap. That's Sorry. Okay. I'll just, I mean, I could have grabbed him one glass, but it's just one of those things. So, can you hear that, David? Look at you. That, that was stage worthy. Mm. Nice. <laughs> All right. 
Once again, thanks, Tom. We had a, a ball. Yeah, this was fun. We'll have to do it again sometime soon. Yeah, anytime. Absolutely. Anytime, sure. buddy. So lead us out, man. Tell them goodbye. Goodbye. Laters. Thank you.